is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, here we go, everybody. Welcome to episode number 140 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, May the 21st, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Adam Gray and Jesse Craig for joining on Thursday for the PWCC Premier Auction Extended Bidding Watch Party. We had a great time, as always. That video, by the way, uh, YouTube had all their live videos on Thursday uh, marked to private for some glitch in the system. Those are now public uh, again. So, there it is if you want to go back and watch that later tonight on after hours if i have the gas joe perot will join me later on tonight tomorrow on collectible live streaming to this channel now my guest will be ryan carey from golden age auctions and next saturday on sports cards live another collector collector's perspective episode with none other than spinatron will be joining the show I want to shout out channel sponsor, Center Stage app. Download the app in the App Store for quick comps, whether you're strolling through card shows or pricing your cards. If you are a vendor, the app is continuously improving. So join me in supporting these awesome hobbypreneurs, great group of guys over there, as they endeavor to make the hobby more fun than it already is. The Sport Card Expo is coming up June 2nd to 5th in Toronto. I can't wait. Sportcardexpo.com. Also want to invite all the viewers, the whole Sports Cards Live community to join me Thursday night after the show closes at 8 p.m. at Jack Astor's. I will, today on my Instagram story, I put up the, the location, the address and all that. So be sure to join, have a big reservation in my name. Look forward to seeing a whole bunch of you there. Want to shout out the Hobbies Middleman Service Trade Safe, your risk-free alternative for trades and buy-sells from any peer-to-peer -peer social media platform or marketplace. We have created a service, a process, and a team that makes remote dealing safer than ever before, fully insured with, through our three-hub system. Check out tradesafehub.com. I also want to thank, guys, Corey from Show Your Slabs for sending me the display unit that now hangs right there, up there, up there. I got my nine nameplate cards, letter cards, Dale Howard, Chuck. Uh, Corey made that custom, sent it up to me, and I have it up on the wall. So that's going to live there from now on. Thank you, Corey, from Show Your Slabs. Check him out. I also want to shout out Doug and Brandon from the 615 Podcast for having me on their pod. Had a great time with those guys. One of my favorite podcasts in the hobby. Check it out, the 615 Podcast. I want to thank all you guys, all our subscribers, viewers, podcast listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. All right. As always, tonight, your comments, your questions are in play. So let's get to tonight's guest who started in the hobby because his father was a collector and it wore off on him. In high school, he bought his first T206 card, a Cy Young, and in 2001, he was caught up in the Ichiro mania that swept the hobby. Fast forward to 2018, working in his career, he started buying Gaudi Babe Ruths and Cracker Jack cards. Not too, not too bad. His favorite teams are the Rangers, Yankees, Knicks, and the Raiders, not the Jets or Giants. His favorite athletes are Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Pavel Bure, and Marvin Harrison. He's originally from Queens, New York, currently hailing from Hoboken, New Jersey. Let's bring him out. Boom. Peter Ionacelli. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing, buddy? 
I'm good, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It, it's great to have you. This is exactly what, what I needed to do for the show, what the audience was, was asking for and wanting. You know, it's time for another collector-centric type of episode. And um, I had a scheduling shift. So I, went, I was without a guest and I just thought I'm going to put it out there to the Instagram community and see who's going to, you know, anyone who wants to step up. You were one of several who did. And it just worked out to get you on this uh, this week. So thank you for being available and uh, and just willing to come on and volunteering. I greatly appreciate it. And, and I must say, even you know, we we hung out a little bit earlier today, got to know each other a little bit, and uh, I'm just glad to know you, glad to have you on. So um, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. You know, I don't really do these, but um, I love the hobby. I'm an obsessive collector, and so if people are looking for a nerdy collector talking about uh, the car community, then I'm all for it today. Perfect. So I uh, I did well in getting you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so good. I'm I'm happy about it. It's awesome. We're gonna before you know before we get started. I mentioned in the intro. Listen, you're from New York. You live in New Jersey. You're a fan of all the New York teams except football. You're a Raiders mm-hmm. fan. So you you need to explain why you're not a Jets or a Giants fan, and uh, why are you a Raiders fan? You know, I blame my dad for a lot of things. Uh, first, card collecting, which is great, and then being a Raider fan, which for the most part has not been great. Uh, so he was in the Navy and traveled around, so he didn't really have a go-to team. Um, kind of fell in love with the Raiders back in the day with Jim Plunkett and all the historicals. They were great back in the 70s. And so he's a diehard Raider fan. He brainwashed me. I blame him. It's great. We watch a lot of games together. Um, and now with them being in Vegas, it's a great travel destination. So um, we were at the stadium last year. It's been awesome, but very hard to hang out with friends at the bars on Sunday because uh, everyone's Jets and Giants. I'm just sitting there in my silver and black and kind of not fitting in. I was going to ask, how do your how do your friends and family respond to you? I guess your family's fine if your dad's a Raiders fan, but how do your friends do do, you, do they rag on you a lot? Uh, how how does that go? Well, look right like the. The Jets are, have been terrible, so they can't really. The Jets fans cannot say anything, but the, the Giants fans, you know, they won twice during like my high school kind of you know ish era, and so a lot of Giants fans give me some crap for my friends. But look, I'm a, like I'll go to the tailgates with them. I'll be fun. Um, I'm salty because they've seen a Super Bowl in their lifetime. I haven't, um, but uh, they tolerate me. Yeah, good, good. Well, I, I hope that I hope they tolerate it. If you were, if you were not an, a Raiders fan, would you be a Giants fan or a Jets fan? It's hard to say. I mean, they both play in the same stadium, right? But like close enough to me. So I'd probably go Giants. Um, I don't know. I probably, probably say, it's hard to say. Yeah, but that's okay. That means that you've never thought about it. So you're truly not a fan. You're truly a, a Raiders fan. Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay, actually, let's go to a few comments. We got a few people in here I want to say hello to and uh, welcome them to the show. Jake Dahl, back as always. Happy Saturday to you. Brendan Ryan, ready for my card fix. And thanks to Brendan Ryan for turning a bunch of hobbyists into, uh, I guess, Magic the Gathering cards. That's a fun project you're on there, Brendan. Keep it keep it going. Cardboard Max, what is going on? And Perk in the house. DR says, how does seasonality and economy impact your spending plans on the hobby for the summer. I mean, that's a, that's a, I like the, the, you know, the seasonality, the summertime. Um, let's, 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 ha- let's hit this question right where, where, while we have it right now from DR, do you slow down at all in the summer from your spending habits within the hobby or do you keep on collecting? You know, I, I think I travel more in the summer. So in theory, I probably am less focused on like 
us hobby nerds that are constantly refreshing eBay and the forums and Instagram. So I do less of that, but um, I don't think it really makes a big difference. The seasonality part, maybe the summer is probably a little bit slower, but not really. And the economy, I mean, I would say no too. I think you obviously see the noise that's happening recently, but um, again, I think people, it's more of a personal thing, right? So like if you haven't bought a car in a while and you have a lot of cash on you, you kind of don't care where the stock market is. Whereas if you're buying a lot of cards and you don't have a lot of money and the market's, you know, really hot, it's like, well, I can't do anything anyway. So for me personally, um, I, I don't think either one affects me except for the summertime. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. The summertime, historically, for me at least, has been a good time to be buying because you've generally been able to find some better deals. And I'm talking about pre-pandemic, pre-hobby boom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The last couple of summers, it hasn't really been that way as far as I've observed because there's been just so many people that are constantly monitoring the hobby and, and any potential deals out there, let's say. So, yeah. um, but I, I think where it does impact us as far as seasonality goes in the summer is that, you know, you've got, you're busier, you're doing more traveling, you're out at the lake, you're doing this or that, and you may, you just may not have the hobby top of mind. So if it impacts my purchasing new cards for my collection, it's because it's not because I want it to, it's because I just, you know, literally can't get, get going. So, yeah. all right, good, good question. Thank you for that DR. Uh, Ralph in the house. Good evening to you. This will be lit. Good stuff. He was happy to have you. So I said, told me good choice. Les Edwards, who, we, oh, yeah, Les, Les right? Les, Mr. Mr. Les Edwards. There's going to be a whole section dedicated to Les, I think, tonight. Yeah, we, we're definitely going to bring him up. We we, we we had a good laugh uh, about that. And don't worry, he knows. I told him about it. He's like, what are you, what, what are you laughing at? I said, don't worry, Les. Don't worry. We got you. It's all good, buddy. It's all good. Les is a good friend. Joe Perot in the house again. If I have gas at the end of this, I will do an after hours episode and Joe will join me. Uh, embrace the hobby evening, folks. Welcome, Peter. You have good taste in cards. Thank you, Very Joe. nice. Very nice. Jeff McMahon, what's going on? Vintage card collector. Good evening to you. Ink, paper, wax collector. Cards and autographs. Yeah, I mean, you did just buy, I mentioned it in the, uh, in the, in the description, you did just buy a big card on Thursday night, an autograph card. We're going to get to that, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely get to that shortly. Shannon, good evening. Let's chat cards. Daniel, what is going on? Jeremy S., good to see you. Been a while. Dave Bolaton, it will that way this summer. It will that way this summer. I think I understand. He says, everyone up to the very upper tier of collectors will be spending on their families' summer activities before spending on the hobby. Yeah, I, th I think that goes without saying, right? Especially now that we can go out uh, and do more for the first summer in a while. Um you know, people are going to have to allocate funds appropriately, whatever, uh, wherever they need to. So makes sense to me. So in high school, Peter, you bought a Cy Young, a T206 Cy Young in high school. Like, what are you, 16, 17, 18 years old, maybe? And you're buying a Cy Young. I want you to take us back to your mindset at the time you made that purchase. Mm -hmm. Like everything from when you discovered it, when you realized this is a card I want, how you pursued it, when you found the one you wanted, when you made the move and you know acquired it what was your mindset throughout that process and why a 1909 t206 cy young sure yeah so um before that time right like as i mentioned my dad was the collector but the old school not a big collector like um would you know buy packs of cards and then mail them out to hall of famers and play his favorite players and have them autographed right so um i had that kind of like in my early days and then 2001 
uh, in middle school, it was the Ichiro craze. And I was like, oh, this guy's awesome. Trying to buy his tops packs, get his card. I'd go on eBay and buy like his cheapest rookies and always look at the SPX auto rookie. And like, oh, one day I want to have that, which I do have, but um, it just like came full circle. Um, and then, so I had some backgrounds and then, you know, in high school, I was working at Party City chopping up uh, cardboard boxes. And so like, you're not going out much. Like I'm going to, you know, hang out in the back alley of like a McDonald's, a couple of friends. Like we're not like going out and drinking in bars. Right. So I didn't have much expenses. So I saved up some money and was doing some research on like, you know, a, a nice purchase for a card. And, um, you know, I got to around some forums. So I've been net 54 baseball for so long. Um, they're a good vintage baseball form. Just reading about uh, the T206, and that is like, you know, the the best set to ever have. It's all biased because they're vintage people. But I learned more about the set, and I really loved how the size, which is so different than the typical card, right? So a typical card, I don't know the dimensions, like three by five maybe, or a little smaller. Two, two and a half by three and a half inches. Two and a half by three. And the T206 is much smaller than that, but it just kind of pops as both aesthetically pleasing and different and historical like this is the first legit set ever and you know, a lot of people call it the granddaddy of uh of card sets and so you know the time like the most famous of the set is ty cobb um cy young and for a lot of people outside the hobby you know honus wagner is probably third to that which is crazy uh, even though he's literally the most expensive card you know ever um so on the auctions, I ended up picking up a T206 Sion on eBay. Now, I had experience, like I said before, on eBay. Um, my first big purchase, $180, I think, $8. Um, I still have that card today. That card will never go anywhere. I think, for one, I love it, and two, it's historical for me. Like, it's a point in time where I didn't have a lot of money, and, you know, that card just doesn't ever leave my collection. And I feel bad because, funny story, there's one person out there who's completing a subset of the back of that card. So the back of the T206 has the advertisements and mine is a, a Principe de Guise, um, which is a rarer subset. Yeah. And one person is missing one card and it's my Cy Young. And he's like, I will, you know, I will work with you with this. Now. I'm like, listen, I, I want to be nice. I know you're, I'll help you complete your set. I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> like this card's not going anywhere. So, um, but you know, that led me to the Cy Young. And since then it's just been, you know, a slow ride up to uh, where I am now. So I want to talk about the Tito six set for a second, because it is the granddaddy. There are so many, you know, experienced collectors that collect that set. And I think that's partially why the rare cards from that set are so valuable, especially the, the Honus Wagner, the, mm -hmm. isn't it, is it the Nap Lejoie? Is he, is he a, a rare card in that set as well? Of course, you've got the Cobbs, the Matthewsons. I mean, it, it's a great so it's a huge set and with the different back variations there can be more more than however many cards you know unique front cards are in it i don't know what that is is it 500 or something but when you add in the the bear the back the different backs i mean i don't know what a master set of that is do you know how many cards would be in a master set is it like 2000 or something and if anyone in the chat knows feel free to pipe up so I'll be totally honest with you. I, I have a couple of T206s. It's too complex for me. There's too many back variations. It's so rare. I can't keep up with it. Um, I think there's, is it 524, 526 for the full set in total? There's one like Joe Doyle variation, which is even rarer than the uh, the Wagner. Um, there's a couple of really tough variations. It's very tough completing a set. Some people do the back runs. I mean, those are so hot. Um, there's a lot of back collectors for me. I never cared. Right. Because I only like, I put my cards up in front and that's it. And so I'll never flip it and show the back. So I never really cared about the back variation. 
Um, they get such a premium though, especially if you go for like the drums, the Broadleaf four sixties, uh, some of the bigger ones. Yeah, you know, if I, I've looked at the the set registry or sorry, the population on PSA before on their website, and it's like it's one of the toughest pop reports to really interpret because of all the variations. And if you don't know some of the abbreviations for what they mean, it's like, what what is this? So I when you say, you know, when you just said, like, to be honest, it's I, I don't have my head around it. I I understand that that's a set that could be very hard to get your head around. Uh, let's a couple of people. There's some comments coming in on this. So Dave Bolaton says 524. So you, you nailed it right there. Jake Dahl says Plank Doyle, the McGee, mm -hmm. I don't know, McGee or McGee, Error and Wagner are the toughest cards in the T206 set. Uh, Joe says it's almost too much to fathom, honestly, right? Dave says the master set would be in the thousands, which makes sense with all the yeah. back variants. Uh, Michael says great deal on the Cobb Auto. I had my eye on it uh the use it back uh dave calls mm -hmm. out That's a tough one. yeah yeah um you know he has it was really funny because i what a coincidence that la on thursday night when myself adam gray from the basketball card fanatic magazine and jesse uh, craig from pwcc were on this channel covering the as we do every month covering the pwcc premier auction we talked about the cob uh autograph the t206 that you ended up buying we talked about it quite quite extensively and uh and then when when you dm'd me it's like wait you're the guy who bought the card like what a what perfect it was just like the stars align like yes yes let's get you on the show and talk about it and, and again we're gonna get back to that in a couple of minutes uh but speaking of that card eric says that you outbid him by one dollar can you eric you almost had that card and lost your wife all in one swoop of a of, of a second there buddy just kidding, but uh, and good to see you, Eric. Uh, and let's go to this question here from a Facebook user says, do you recommend show, this is totally off topic right now. Do you recommend showcasing my cards on Instagram as I only use eBay and Kijiji? Well, we are going to talk about that uh, towards the end of the show. So let's uh, let's save it for them for then actually, and just uh, go to, there's, there's our guy, Sean, Victory Investments, who we were actually just talking about before we went live. Yes, we were, Sean. Uh, says, congrats. I pictured Ty Cobb dipping that pen into a jar of ink and slowly signing his name on the card, pen and quill. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just cool how it's done in fountain pen. I mean, it's before the time of ballpoint pens, right? 19, whenever he signed it sometime, yeah. you know, in the 1900s, 19, 19 teens, I guess. Justin Vick says, uh, yeah, I want to borrow a dollar to, to Eric and incredible pickup, Pete, plus a D381 Cobb all within a week, basically. So, Babe Ruth cards, Yanks fan 09 knows uh, that you picked up another card. I'm not aware of that. Talk about this D381 Cobb. What, what, what's that all about? So I actually met, that's Eric Lewin. Uh, I actually met him in person to pick that D381 up. So there's, it's a Fleischmann Bakery Cobb. He knows way more than I do about it. Like I'm very honest with what I know and I don't know. Like the T206, I'm a vintage guy. Even I don't know all the quirks about that. But this card has a population of less than 10. It's a 1916 Thai Cobb. It's beautiful. Um, so Eric had one in poor condition and he won one in an auction for, uh, inherited, I think for a two grade, right? Beautiful pickup. He didn't need his poor grade anymore for me. Like I'm less condition sensitive. I just like the card knowing I have it. And so, uh, we met up in person. He's from Long Island and I picked up his card uh, in exchange for some, some money. And I think it worked out nice. He has a great card. I have a great card, less than 10 out there. You never know when you're going to, that's like my thing is. 
for me, I love cards that you'd never know when you're going to see it again. And that comes back to the Cobb Auto, right? Like a lot of cards I think are popping up a lot more frequently now because prices have gone up so much. So a lot of like really rare cards coming up more often. And I think that's just a short-term thing. I think you'll see, you'll see a lot of these cards dissipate and not show up for a long time. And you have a chance to get something like this, you get it. Let's talk a bit more about, you know, your collector mentality and how, because mm -hmm. you just said, you know, you really like a card that you don't think you'll ever see again. Or you don't know when you'll see it again. You know, what is it like? What is it about that? Why, why is it that, that what draws you to a card like that? If, if you can kind of get deeper on that, please. Yeah. So I think, and one of the reasons why I want to join this, like join the show is there's a lot of, uh, you know, I don't want to say negative energy in the hobby, but um, I think that for me, people are so focused on comp, 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 comp. And when you have a rare card like that, there's no comp, right? So if I own a card and it hasn't shown up in years, you know, you kind of, it's almost like intriguing. It's like, wow, this card hasn't been available for years. It adds to the aura of the card, as, as crazy as it sounds. Um, and so for me, when I collect, um, I don't care much about like f getting the best deal. I want to get cards I know will be very tough to get in the future because my theory is over time, high quality cards will go up in value. So if you see a card that hasn't popped up for years and you don't know if it's going to pop up for another few years, you can overpay for it if you're a collector and you love it because you can never count on getting that card again. Um, I also think certain areas of card collecting um, are less sticky, right? So basketball cards that are very rare, I think you see that a lot more frequently. But um, some of the really rare hockey cards I've noticed never pop up. And some of the vintage baseball cards that are really rare, you never see. So um, I think for me, you know, the Fleischman, this example, D381, less than 10. I think there's five graded, like Eric said. You get a chance to buy it, you buy it. He also mentioned that that the, that that particular Cobb was newly discovered. Like, I think he means to the hobby in mm -hmm. 2016. Like, that's really cool that... As late as 2016, we as a hobby are still discovering new issues. I know that's going on rampantly right now in the soccer world, but to think a Ty Cobb was just discovered by the hobby six years ago, that's almost mind-blowing that, uh, you know, so that's really cool. What a cool card. What a cool story. You know, you mentioned that when it comes to buying a rare card or locating and finding a rare card that, you know, sometimes you have to just pay what, it, there's no comp, you have to pay what it costs to get it. You may never see another one. And I, you know, it reminds me of the, the Honus Wagner from the T206 set. You know, that card, every time it sells, it breaks a record, meaning every time it sells, somebody is setting the new comp and they're just buying it because they are paying what they have to pay. So sometimes when you are doing that, you know, you just have to kind of take that leap of faith and say, listen, this card, I'm, I might not ever see it again. You got to pay what it takes to get it at the time. It's a seller's market on a card like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you do what you got to do to get the card and uh, and 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 you can, I think, be comfortable knowing that, you know, eventually um, if you do move it, you will probably be OK because it's just that rare. Are you are you frozen on me? Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, as long as I can hear you. OK. Yeah, I look, okay. I look frozen, too, but I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> OK, let's keep going. It'll it'll catch up in a second. Let's keep going. I want to talk about a bit more about the T206 set because you know we know that, and as I commented earlier, there's a lot of the a lot of the people that collect that set are are older. You know, they've been collecting for 30, 40 plus years. So they're getting higher up in age. You know, they're not in their 
30s, 40s, 50s anymore. Many of them, I'm sure some are. So what do you think about the like the longevity of that set? We know there's a lot of people collecting them. We know that they're trying to get, you know, either the 524 cards or maybe a couple a couple of crazy people are going for the overall master set. I say crazy in a good way there. Do you think that like in 10, 20, 30 years, is that set going to continue to have enough people collecting it to maintain its values? So the one thing that people say about that set is what you're saying. Like the negative part is that it's so old. Like how do people connect with that set? Here's what I think. Um, everyone in that set is dead, right? So um, they've been dead for a long time. It's to me, it's um, it's timeless. It's it's no longer appeals to like, you know, people that like think about the athletes. It's history, right? So I think, you know, with modern players, you're tying yourself more to the athlete, right? So all right, Zion's injured. His cards are going to hurt. And you're buying him because you think he's going to be a superstar one day. Tito's six, you know everything that happened. There's no more stats to accrue. Um, I think that that's really important. I think also, I think if you think at the art market, right, like a lot of the artists aren't live that people collect. And so, and those are timeless for hundreds of years. So I think it's more history. And people think about the first, you know, cards of baseball, even though the Tito six wasn't the first card, it's always going to come to mind. I agree. And, you know, like Dave makes a comment right here. People that are 40 now will be 60 in 20 years and will be collecting T206s. And I think that makes sense. Listen, I'm, I wasn't around to watch any of these players uh, that I collect from, you know, I, I collect the C56, C55, C57 hockey sets from 1910, 11 and 12. I'm too young to have seen any of those players ever play, but I collect them for the history and documenting the history, not only of the sport, but of the hobby. I love the hobby as much as I love sports. So I think you're right. When things are significant from a historical perspective, when they're of a museum type quality, there will always be people who feel like they are historians as we do and want to collect those cards. Uh, right here, Justin Vick says that highlights the importance of maintaining hobby history. Yeah, Brendan Ryan says, if they don't dry up. Well, I don't think they'll dry up, Brendan, because eventually people that have them will unfortunately pass away and their cards will likely hit the market through their estate at one point in time so that might be where we're at though is where we're wait where it sounds terrible to say but we're actually the hobby might need and it happens all the time people need to get on in life in order for their cards to uh to come to market so interesting good stuff lots of comments coming i want to get to them let's go back to you for a second though peter are you still with us because you're frozen I'm again I'm still here. Yeah. I don't know why it's doing that, but I'll, I'll keep pushing forward. Why don't you do this? Why don't you uh, leave and come back in through the link I sent you? Okay. Give me one second. All right. And I'll go, I'll do some comments. All right. So while he's coming back in here, I'm going to get through some comments that you guys have put in there. Busby. I just got back at 2013 Tom Brady select prism PSA 10 pop 12. Well, that's a nice low pop card. Congrats to you on that. And he's back and you're moving and we got you. We got you. All right, now we know what fixes that. Okay, cool. All right, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Babe Ruth, okay, so this is the guy that you got the card from. The grade two was found. Okay, he's talking about the the D381, I think. Mm -hmm. Grade two was, the grade two was found around that. I just won in Heritage. I won the copy Pete just got in 2012. At that time, it was the only graded example. So again, we're talking about this card here, the Ty Cobb D381, which he, uh, which he thinks there's only five graded total it's that's a cool thing to have a card that there's only five graded of 
I would think. He said the 2012 was when the first one came to market. Dave Bolaton just found 33, 34 Gaudis in unbelievable condition. So you'll get your chance soon. Wow, that's a nice find for sure. And Sam Schmidt, welcome to the show, says, can you speak to the rarity of worldwide gum versus Gaudi, specifically the Babe Ruth cards? We're talking about the 33s. I believe the worldwide gums over 34s, which is a bit of a distinction there. Can you speak to these two sets, Pete? Sam's going to kill me, but I couldn't tell you the population of each one. I just know that it's the same exact design. And for some reason, worldwide gum actually trades at a discount or like go for a discount to Gaudi. I think people have told me that worldwide gum is more rare than the Gaudi cards, um, except people are like, okay, it's not a Gaudi. So, you know, it gets a little bit of a discount. So um, I think if you see in the, like, in the graded cards, if you see it says worldwide gum and you wonder why that card sells for less than a Gaudi, I guess it's because collectors want the Gaudi for some reason. Same exact design, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think they're actually more rare than the Gaudis. I think you're right. When I would, when I set out to acquire myself a, a Babe Ruth 33 Gaudi uh, number 53, the yellow background, I, I was almost tricked, not, not intentionally by anyone. I almost tricked myself into purchasing a worldwide gum copy. Cause I'm like, what's wrong? Why is this so much cheaper than the others of the same grade that, than the other cards? And I guess, luckily I, I did, I figured out why I realized now, oh, it says it's worldwide gum. At first I didn't even notice it on the PSA cert, the, the flip. And then I started thinking, well, maybe this is the, the smarter purchase. It's cheaper. The card looks the same. And then I went to a place where it, I wanted the Gaudi brand because that was the more recognizable brand, yeah. even to myself, even though I believe the worldwide gum version is the Canadian version. And I'm a Canadian. I thought that's I, I think that's what it is. But I still wanted the Gaudi because it just had that brand equity that the worldwide gum uh, didn't have and still doesn't. If And I'm talking like 10 years ago when I bought mine. And from what you just said, I'm I'm. I'm assuming that the, the the hobby still looks at at them the same way. It still does. And look, I mean, with new generations, maybe it'll change over time. But um, I think there's just an, a negative stigma compared to the Gaudi with the worldwide gum. Not saying it's a bad card to have, but I think it'll always trade at a discount. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I wonder, did worldwide gum was it the same set? Did they do all four Ruths and and the Garrigs and all that? I don't know about the Garrigs, um, but I know that, or at least I'm pretty sure all four of the Ruths um our worldwide gum okay all right yeah it's funny they're the they look like the exact same i don't know if there might be a distinction on the back i don't remember right now I, but I, yeah i think the i think one of the colors bleeds more um but i i'm blanking yeah yeah all right and i do believe the worldwide gum is dated a year later which you know listen now we know that neither are babe ruth's like rookie card that would be i mm -hmm. believe it's 1916 uh baltimore news or something like that yeah but um yeah but uh Still, that's another another distinction between the two that led me to the 33 Gaudi because I know I can't say it's it's you know a year earlier, so it's the rookie, but to me that is his most beautiful card. So I, I wanted the Gaudi it, as well. It is, it's a beautiful card. I argue it's probably the most well-known and widely followed vintage, like pre-war card out there, even more so than the Tito 6 uh Cobb. Um, the funny thing is that a lot of the later year Cobb cards, which I think are beautiful, I don't really own many, but I'm like, oh, that's a great value because a lot of the poses are very similar to his early years and they sell for a discount because it's his later year Cobbs. This is as late of a year as you can get for Babe Ruth. I think he retired in 1935 and for some reason it's still his, you know, most well collected card. I really think it's because it's so aesthetically pleasing, like oh. the, the, the red background, the yellow background. I mean, those are phenomenal cards. 
it's the aesthetics. They are they are they are works of art. There's no doubt about it for sure. For and they're nicer than his 1916 cards. I mean, I don't was he in the Cracker Jack set? I don't. I'm not. No, he, he wasn't. Was he? No, his I did Baltimore News. I think that was eight. No, 1915. Um, so he just Cracker missed. Jack. I just missed the Cracker Jack set. Um, yeah. That it was his first card, um, and that one obviously is a million dollar card. Yeah, it's a great card too, but it's black and white. It's not all that attractive. Whereas the Gaudis, the 33 Gaudis and Worldwide Gums for that matter, are just stunning, stunning museum quality type pieces to look at. Okay, good. Let's go to this comment from Behind the Tanks. He says, speaking of cards rarely coming up, how about that 1986 Fleer Abdul-Jabbar sticker PSA 10 that sold on Thursday on the PWCC Premier Auction? That was my friend Brian Dennison's card, also known as Cajun Cardboard. He says, uh, goes on to say, my copy is the most valuable card in my collection without knowing it. Yeah, there you go. Right there. There you go. Do you have anything to any comments on that? So I noticed that and it, it caught my eyes. I'm like, why is this price so high? Now, look, like I know what I know and I know what I don't know. So I never pass judgment on prices unless I know the facts. Right. And so I guess it's like what a population of 17 or something. Um, so, OK, it's very rare for me. I'm so used to collecting SGC 10s and PSA 1s and authentics and pinhole cards, back damage that like paying up for a perfect card doesn't really make sense to me, especially when nines are just as nice uh, or like, not just as nice, but very similar. So I wouldn't pay that money, but I'm sure someone's trying to collect, you know, the set for PSA 10 across the board. To me, it's just an astonishing price, especially considering what else you can get for that. But I mean, everyone has a different flavor that makes the hobby great. So I, I don't pass judgment. Yeah, we all we all definitely approach it differently. No, no doubt about it. I think you're right. There are there are several people out there that are working on a complete 86 Fleer cards and stickers set in PSA 10. And so the lowest pop cards are always going to command uh, a significant premium over, you know, a card, a comparable card that uh, th that isn't as as rare in high grade. So it, that does make sense. It's a it's a complete supply demand sort of thing when it comes to that, when it comes to those. Hello to you, Albert Jones. Uh, Ralphie says they will be museum tiered with it being historically legend status. I think we're talking about the, the Babe Ruths. Justin Vick says waiting on grandkids to mistakenly post those T206 cards for sale on Instagram for sure. Uh, your, what's your friend's name here? Uh, Eric. Eric, Eric, I'm going to start calling you Eric, says price will increase accordingly on pre-war, but with T206, there will always be supply with the exception of signed T206 copies. There you go. Cards and Comics says, just like Opichi, they are rare. He's talking about the Worldwide Gum, uh, 33 Gaudis, and comparing them to Opichi Baseball of the 70s and 80s, which I thought about that just when we were talking about the Worldwide Gum, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, for the longest time, people didn't want the Opichis. They wanted the tops. Now, some of the rare Opichis, in, you know, as far as like PSA, Pop Report, high grade goes, are selling for more, if not much more, than their tops counterpart. So... That makes sense. That 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 makes sense to me, and it's consistent. Benjamin Diamond, nineteen thirty-two caramels are my jam. What do you uh? You have any experience with that set? Um, I don't, but I'm, I've been actively looking for a nice caramel Babe Ruth. Uh, it's a beautiful post. It's a beautiful set. I just never got into it. Um, but I mean, it's very hard to see the price rise in the Ruth for the caramel set. I mean, they go for a pretty penny. So I've been actively looking for one. No one's selling. I mean, I'm sure I could find one if I look a little harder, but it, they're very tough to find for some tough reason. To find. Yeah. I know our friend Sean at Victory Investments. He uh, he loves their. I think he loves 
what is, what is it, the 48 Leaf Babe Ruth or something? His last card, I believe. Maybe it's his last playing day. I don't remember exactly, but he loves one of those cards. Whereas Game Time Gallery says the 32 US Caramel, the Ruth is card, is his best card in my humble opinion. Brendan Ryan tells us that bleed throughs are common among those Gaudi and high grade examples are unicorns. Yeah, no doubt about it. Jake Dahl confirms that World or asks, but I think you're assuming, and we, we are too, that the Worldwide Gum is the Canadian distribution of the Gaudi, similar to how Opeachy was the Canadian distribution of tops for baseball and hockey back in the 70s and 80s behind the tanks. He confirms Worldwide Gum is Canadian Gaudi, and print runs are probably similar to Opeachy versus tops. Makes sense. Joe Perot wants to know, I'm curious if Peter has a Tito 6 Walter Johnson and if he prefers the hands at chest or portrait version. And in general, do you guys prefer the portraits when it comes to Tito 6s or the wider angle shots? The So I will speak for like the collector community and me personally, and they're both the same. Um, it's his portrait. The yellow backgrounds, that is a phenomenal card. Um, I think everyone everyone agrees. I think in general, in my personal opinion, is the portrait cards sell for more, right? So I'll use the Cobb as an example. It's usually his green Cobb, it's the red, and then you have the bat off and the bat on, I think is usually the value range. Um, people love the portraits. The Cy Young portrait, green background, excellent card, will sell more than the glove shows uh, Cy Young version. So I think Tito 6 collectors love the um, love those cards. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Cobbs for a minute, and I'm realizing that, you know, I've I don't own one, and I've I've wanted one for over probably 15 years. I just haven't had the opportunity. I remember looking at some Cobbs in Cleveland at the Cleveland National in 2013. I should have I, sh I should have pulled the trigger. I didn't. But what I'm getting at is that the the green portrait Cobb is worth more. You know, all things being equal, worth more than the red portrait Cobb, and they're the same card except for the background color. And then I think about the 1997, you know, Skybox Precious Metal Gems or Fleer, Fleer Metal Precious Metal Gems, and the greens are worth more than the red. So green green backgrounds have been worth more than red backgrounds going back to 1909. That that is not something that came came along yeah. with the with the Jordan PMG and that whole set in uh, in 1997. That 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 it's actually 80 years behind when. Which is kind of and, funny. And we all thought Arena Designs was a visionary. They just stole from Tito 6. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, uh, we got to give them credit where it's due. They were visionaries. I don't think that they were clued in to these to the green versus red portrait cobs uh, when they when they came up with that. So, I don't think so. Yeah, that's that's a that's pretty funny, actually. Game time gallery. Love all these vintage folks in the chat. There we go. There we go. Ink paper wax has Worldwide gum were printed in Montreal, I believe. I have some of their non-sport stuff. Very cool. Frankie says the winner of the Kareem, oh, the winner of the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sticker now has five of the PSA 10. So now we have a horde going on, right? There's, yeah. Which is, how do you feel about that? Listen, I, we, I don't want to pass judgment just like you don't on, on anything here, but does that, like, what's the motivation for that? Are you, are, are you trying to... Uh, are you trying to to block other people from completing their set, or are you trying to, you know, hoard them and then let them loose later on for more money? Like it's almost—is it like a hostage situation? What what's the in in your if you care to comment? Why yeah. why does someone collect five of the PSA tens when it's such a a tough card to find? So 
I don't know the right answer. I I can take it in a positive site and a negative site. So one, the positive is someone believes in the card so much that they want five of them. And I think that's totally fine. I think you'll never know what people's true rationale is. Um, but I would take it a positive light. Okay. Maybe they have five and they believe in the card so much. So like, you know, like Les, for example, right. He has all those Oilers, um, patch auto limited logo Gretzky's like he believes in that card and he's backing it up. Um, I think other people, there could be, you could also argue that they're trying to take away some of the supply and control the market a little bit. And um, I think it's harder to do when cards are, you know, you're talking about a population of 17, I think at least on the PSA side, it's harder to do. And if you own five of 17, you know, that's a decent chunk. Um, I would think that'd make more sense if the population was lower than that. So I, I, I think for that case, maybe the person has a view that, the tens in a Fleer set are just very iconic and rare and, you know, there'll be set builders and the card will always go up. It's just hard to say. I personally wouldn't do that. hoard that many, um, especially at $240,000. Yeah. I mean, it could be a little bit of price protection as well. You know, maybe, maybe you have four of them, you want them to be worth a lot. So you bid on the fifth one and you pay, you pay for it and you acquire it. And now, now the new comp on all five of them is that, but I, I don't think we're, well, who knows? Maybe we will see one, but I don't know that you do that with the intention of selling them uh, anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, there's some cards that I've hoarded as well over over the years, and I've never with the intention of blocking anyone from completing their set. I went as far with one card. Um, I mean, not a card that too many people care about. I certainly do, but uh, I don't know the year 2013 or 2014, the cup, the Dale Howard Chuck. Ah, there's, his, there's his name bar above my above my closet there. Uh, the limited logos out of 50, I think I have 13 of them at one point. Oh, wow. And and I actually, sorry, wrong year. The 2008 Howard Chuck limited logos, I had three of them. And a friend of mine was working on the set. And uh, he had been uh, just a real a real kind person to me. So I sent him one just as, as, a, as a gift. So almost the opposite of trying to block somebody from completing the set. Maybe our, our the owner of these five, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, wants to be able to gift one to his friend who's also working on the set. You never know. Let's let's leave it at that with a real positive, you know, sort of, sort of thing. Dave says the Jabbar sticker isn't rare. Only a piece of paper that says PSA 10 is rare. You can buy an early Ruth for $200,000. Yeah, I mean, my comment to that is that you're right. The sticker, the Jabbar sticker is not rare. I have one terribly off-centered, probably worth, I don't know what it's worth, maybe a hundred bucks. Uh, it's not rare. But it is rare when it is encapsulated in that PSA 10 holder, whether you believe the grade or you don't, you think the grade is justified or not. The point is, is that it's a it's a different item when it's in that when it's in that holder. Uh, and there's only 17 of that kind of uh, version of it, I guess you could say. So uh, cards and comics, few comments. M116 set is the most undervalued pre-war set, he says, has a Honus Wagner along with most stars. It's also a shame that the T227 had so few baseball players. And I'm not familiar with the T227 set. What can you tell us about that, Pete? So I used to own – so I, he's right. So I think uh, – he or she's right. So I think there's – it's a famous uh, – I think players of – it's cards. I think there's hunters and other non-sports figures. Hunter. The cards, I, the cards I believe, are Cobb, Rube, Mark Ward, um, Cheap Bender. I'm blanking on another one. Home Run Bender. Right, so those are all great cards, great poses. I used to own the T two two seven Ty Cobb card. There's a few back variations. I think there's a Miners Extra and then one other. Um, those are great cards. It's a great pose. I think um, their point 
it's not like a set collector. There's only uh, a handful of baseball players in that set. And so I think it loses a little bit of luster and kind of falls on the wayside. It's a great card. Um, I think when you're talking about early 1912 um, Ty Cobb cards, you, they're all rare and they're all excellent to have. It's a great yellow background with him batting. Um, I think what limits it is he's the only star in that set. Got it. Okay, good. Thanks for that education. It's a set I'm not familiar with. Uh, Eric here says, Walter Johnson T206 portrait is exceptional, even among the, Hoff, the Hall of Fame portraits, which I owned one. Yeah, I mean, that's the yellow background card, right? I mean, I've never owned one. I've never like tried to, but I've thought about it. And just because it is so beautiful, especially when you're used to these red and green portrait cards, because Ty Cobb is so much more in our face. It is a gorgeous card. Dave tells us that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, so I, yeah, no, I actually I owned one. Um, I think like it was in high school, like after the Cy Young, I owned one, and it was funny because I bought it raw, and you know me, like I, like your high school, you're all positive, like, like oh, no, these are all real, right? And so um, there was a scare where a couple of people thought it was fake. I posted mm-hmm. it on a forum because um, those cards are pretty well reprinted. Um, but you can tell on like the font, some of the borders, um, I own that card and I regret selling it because I was talking this before it's vintage. Like that card just every year is just 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%. And I think the modern play in modern market, uh, really doesn't understand the vintage market with, especially with pre-war in that, like this going up 10 X and then down 50% is not normal for us vintage card. I think a lot of us would freak out. And so, um, there's different types of, um, pricing between vintage and modern. So, uh, the Walter Johnson, no exception. Everyone will collect that. It's always going to stay in demand. It's always going to go up in value. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. The, the markets, the, the vintage is a different market to the ultra modern for sure. And a little, and from the modern as well, Dave tells us that portraits do sell for more across the board. So we're again, just what, if you don't know, the portrait is where you just have the players like, you know, here up the shoulders, the head, the, the head, the face, versus some sort of action shot where you can see them holding the bat. Uh, And there's both versions in all those old tobacco sets from the 1910s. Tells us T206 horizontals are also great cards. Hey, you don't see very many of those at all. Uh, Tom Newman said, the exact reason is so hard to find. I forget what that was about. Maybe why why someone's buying that fifth uh, Kareem Mm -hmm. Abdul-Jabbar sticker. Tank says that hoarding the 1986 Fleer Johnny Moore PSA 10 syndrome, that's, you know, a common card from that set, but I believe is the lowest uh, populate PSA 10 population in the whole set. Uh, and that, that basically defines how many people can own that complete set in PSA 10s. Dave says the 200,000 is just a vanity thing. Protect their sticker set of the registry. That That's a good call out, actually. It could be to protect their their position on the set registry, which is a very competitive environment. Lee Haskins, welcome, says, I only have one Tito Six card, the Cy Young Green Portrait. I would love to get more. They cost a lot, though. Yes, they do. And Game Time Gallery, here's a fun question. What is your chase card that took you the longest amount of time to acquire? Um, I have to think. Um, you know... And this isn't like a bragging thing, but it's it's been a little bit easier for the chase cards over the past two years. There's so many people selling cards; they got in so much value. So a lot of these rarities have come up. But um, you know, the two cards I would say is, you know, I would say around 2015, I wanted a Cracker Jack uh, Joe Jackson card, and they were always so much. You know, they were so so expensive for me, and not particularly rare. 
but just it was an expense thing for me. And so I think it just took a while for me to find one for a price I could afford, and I eventually did. The the Deesh Fielding, so that is Ty Cobb's one of his rookie postcards. That was a tough one for me. I think there's like 27 of them in existence, and it's a very stick sticky holder base. So you don't really see him come to auction. I think maybe like three or four last year and less the year before that. And that's in a heightened market of selling. Um, that took a long time, a lot of losses for me, a lot of late nights, refreshing, getting out bid, recounting my bank account. Like, can I go an extra $5,000? Uh, <laughs> and you know, every time I would lose an auction the next day, I'd be like, look at some of my cards I have. And I'd be like, I would have easily sold these just to get the extra $10,000 to go buy that card. And so, um, I ended up finally winning to back to seasonality the summer of last year. Uh, it is my favorite card in the world and I will never sell that card. Just knowing how hard it was to get it. What year is that card from? 1907. So the Dish uh, postcards, um, go from 1907 to 1909. There's two versions of the Cobb. There's this fielding variation and a batting. The batting is more, um, as a higher supply because allegedly the fielding version was cut in printing during 1907 when they first came out. And so I think there's 150 plus batting Cobb postcards over those years uh, graded and there's 27 of the fielding. And that's just because they were only cut for a certain period of time. And so it's considered like one of his true rookie cards. Wow. So the, that means that the T206 Ty Cobbs from 1909 to 1911 are not his rookie card. No, there's a few rookie cards for Cobb. I think some people debate what it is. There's these W600 portraits that were kind of a premium where you'd mail in for one of them. I think they were dated back as early as 1902 to 1909, and that includes Cobb, um, even though he didn't play in 1902. I think other people uh, did. And then it's the postcards where, you know, years ago, collectors didn't really, or they kind of shunned postcards as not a real card. And the values of postcards have gone up astronomically as people accept it and realize, wait, like these are real cards. And you see that with the exhibit um, Garrick rookie, which is now a million dollar card. You see that with some of the exhibits for Babe Ruth and for Cobb, there's, I think there's a seamless steel tubes is less than 10 of those 1907. There's his Deesh fielding. There's a Wolverine batting and a Wolverine portrait all considered his rookies. Yeah. Okay. That's you mentioned the exhibits. I don't know much about the exhibits. I know that they are larger cards, more even bigger than a, a postcard. And I recently heard my friend Leighton Sheldon from uh, Vintage Breaks and Just Collect talking uh, on one of the on his podcast, which is called Trading Card Therapy, talking about buying one, seeing one of these at a card show, a very low grade. I don't remember the player if it was Gar I think it was Garrig Garrig or Ruth. And he's like, you just don't see these cards. You, when you see them, you buy them in any condition, and you know you 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 can't get hurt on it. So that's what that made me think of. And uh, and uh, it, it's just it's so interesting all these different variations back then, you know. And listen, I'm I'm a collector who I like my cards to be of the tobacco size or of the traditional size. Now the two and a half by three and a half. I don't mind the. The larger cards of the early 50s where they still fit in your your the same sort of slab that today's cards would fit in as far as postcards go i do have a few in my collection a couple tall boys as well you know from the mid the 60 uh 65s in hockey and the, the joe namath rookie and the the lou alcindor i mean great how can you not own those if you like hall of fame rookies even oh, though yeah. they're not the standard size so 
Let's talk about that for a moment. Where do you fall? Obviously, you don't mind. You're happy to collect a card, whether it's the today's traditional size, standard size, or it's one of these uh, kind of off sizes from the, especially from you know pre-war when you know the size wasn't something that was standardized. So how, how do you where, where do you fit in all that? To me, I, the size of the card matters less than the rarity of it, right? So Babe Ruth has these exceptional exhibit cards, beautiful of him fielding and batting. Um, they're incredible. There's 1921 exhibits with him in a fielding pose. One of his first Yankees um, cards is just great. And so I don't think it really matters, like, the sizing of the card, more the history around it. Um, I think some collectors shun exhibits because uh, it's a non-standard size. And then it come in a pack. Uh, I think people are so fixated. Okay, they come in a pack. Is it in a pack? It's like, all right, you talk about vintage here. Like there, were, there's, there weren't a lot of packs in you know 1909 or whatever, 1921. So uh, I don't think beggars can be choosers. Well, there were packs of cigarettes in the night in 1909. There were different packs, packs of, yeah. Packs of chocolate bars and ice cream sandwiches in the 1920s, and then gum in the 30s. I'm guilty of that though. I'm someone who likes my cards pack pulled. Uh, it's I don't just you know it just goes back to me uh, open up packs in the in the early to late 80s as as a kid and uh, so I'm a little biased towards that but I do own a few others it's not like I I, I shun them all but uh, that's that's where my preference is but hey that's the beauty of this hobby right Peter we all approach it in our own unique ways okay let's go to to some more comments from the chat here cards and comics my favorite Cyan card is the E90-1 red background thanks for the call out. Also says T5, Matthewson is the next pre-war card I'm going for. Good luck with your hunt on that, cards and comics. Timeless Cardboard, absolutely great guest and show tonight. Portraits are king. Thank you, Timeless Cardboard, who partially is the inspiration for us coming to uh, getting back to some collector-centric episodes. Dave Kaplan lets us know that the Colorado Avalanche beat the St. Louis Blues tonight. You're wearing a hockey, all this baseball talk, Pete, and you're wearing a hot. Let's see that jersey. What jersey are you wearing there? Oh, it's the old school Canucks jersey. I'll be totally honest with you. So I'm from the New York area. There is a never an opportunity for me to wear this out in public. And I was like, okay, Jeremy's a hockey guy. I was like, I could clearly wear this on the show. So I was like, I can dust off and wear it. And so um, I apologize for that, but I had to wear it. <laughs> Please. it's What a great jersey. I mean, that jersey is a classic. It's a classic 80s, early 90s jersey. So uh, I, I love it, man. It, it's great for sure, for sure. Your friend Eric says, find me a low-grade fielding, LOL. Dave says, W600 Cobb rookie. Anything else is fighting words. PCs aren't cards. Which is the W600? So, Dave, I totally understand that point um, because everyone considers W600 one of his rookies. I think it's also the PCs. I mean, if you say that the postcards aren't cards, it's like W600 isn't in a regular card shape either. They're premium, so they're bigger. They are absolutely gorgeous. They're so hard to get. I think the last W600 Cobb sold in 2020 for $200,000 in REA auctions. And that price is a steal today because yeah. if that was if that was listed today, I'm sure it'd be at least double. That's the case. People think it's his true rookie because it was one of the earlier ones. But um, I think a lot of people also lump in the postcards with that. Got it. This is uh, Ken from Pastime in, in British Columbia, where Vancouver is. It says, great 1994 jersey. Actually, now that I see you got the Stanley Cup patch there, so that is from 94 when the Rangers, your New York Rangers, beat the Vancouver Canucks yeah. in the Stanley Cup finals. I remember watching that series in 97. I was hoping for the Canucks back then, 
Who are you hoping for? I was clearly, I was like five years old. So I was just trying to figure out what hockey was. Uh, that's my, <laughs> that was my first memory of hockey. And I think that for me, it's sentimental because I just remember how much like, Ranger fans, like my father and my family members just feared Pavel Bore. And it was a jersey and like this jersey is iconic to me. It's like my first memory of hockey. So um, I'm also a huge Rangers fan. So, I mean, I, I would clearly not a Vancouver fan, but the jersey is just awesome. It's a, it is a very nice jersey. Uh, Lapper, late to the show. Go Abs. Good evening. Great to see you. Lapper, check out his YouTube channel by the same name as you see right there. Lapper's Hockey Card Flips. It's a hockey card channel. Uh, Eric says, half my collection is tall boy slabs. That's really cool. Frankie says, I'm trying to get a George Mike in exhibits. I think they have a special place in the hobby. Yeah, I think they I think they definitely do. And you know what I think is going to happen is that with, with the way things are, are in the hobby, like lately, people are looking for other things to collect versus, you know, the, 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 this year's rookie crop prism sort of thing. People want to find more unique items. We are, the hobby is learning just how important scarcity is and exhibits are scarce. So uh, you might have more and more competition, Frankie, find that as fast as you can, my friend. Uh, behind the tanks is in hockey, the 1939 and 1940 Opeachy hall of fame rookie cards don't seem to get any love considering their rarity fair comment jake doll loves all the patches on your canucks jersey dave says exhibits are different than postcards yeah i think they're bigger aren't they dave i think they're bigger than a, a standard size postcard and eric says the russian rocket he's talking about pavel Bure, number 10 from the uh he played for the rangers too but back in 94 mm -hmm. he was on the canucks says he does not get the hobby love he deserves yeah he gets some though pavel Bure does get some hobby love and let's see what Eric says. 1921 exhibits baseball set, as far as I know, was the first ever set of cards sold just as cards and not in the promotion of a different item. They were issued in penny arcade machines, all PC size. So, you know, cards, really cards up until the end of the 90s. Eh, it's hard to, to it's hard to argue this, but I'll just go with it. We're really a premium on the gum sales, but we all know that really in the 60 even in the 50s forward uh kids that were buying packs of gum packs of cards were buying them more for the cards than the gum i think well several were anyway all right good hey man what a, what a what a lot of vintage baseball talk we've had this is uh this is i feel like the chat forum is half vintage baseball nerds then half hockey nerds i love it this is amazing it's like you and me combined <laughs> i know exactly exactly let's 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 change it up a bit i want to talk about because you said earlier that, you know, you don't really care about the grade a lot of the time. You care about owning the card. And that's what you have. You have no choice when it comes to a really, really rare card. But when you talk about it's still a card that is still rare, but, you know, not quite as rare as, you know, a pop 13 or 15 or something like that. But still a nice vintage card. Do you believe in you know, a card being, say, strong for the grade. Now, we're talking about graded cards here. So, you know, you could have a PSA 5 of a 48-leaf Jackie Robinson. And, you know, there's several several conditions that that card can be, and they're not all going to be the same. So mm -hmm. I don't believe. Do you think, like, do you, do you personally look for a card? Do you say, okay, my budget is a, about a 5, so, but I want a strong 5? Or do you say, my budget's like a, a, a week or an average five. I'm going to actually look for a strong four. How do you kind of approach that? Or do you just wait for the right card to appear and that's the one and you go for it? 
it's the latter. I wait for the right card to appear. It's a different mindset though, right? So for cards that I'm going to keep for my personal collection, all I care about is the front image, right? I also collect different things, right? So I, I collect a lot of pre-war stuff. Um, I, I do some modern, but, and so for me, I'm not even thinking about cards that are a six plus grade. I can't afford it, right? So I'm looking at a two to four grade type of card. And for me, I don't care about the grade. The front is the most important to me. So, you know, a lot of cards for me are ones that have some back damage, but the front is perfect. Um, I have a Jackie Robinson rookie. The front image is great. There's a small crease, but the registration and the centering is so great. I can live with the crease. It's a 1.5. I like that better than some threes that are out there. And so um, I don't really look for the grade that much because in vintage, you really, it's, it, you just want the eye appeal. And that's so important to me. It's a different mindset though. Like if I was an investor, I think for me, I'd be like, I want the highest grade. I don't care what the card looks like because people are going to cop it to the previous five. Uh, it doesn't work for me. Or if you're a PSA set registry competitor yes. and you just yes. care about the grade on the PSA label versus the card itself, which I've been active on the PSA set registry for years and years now. And, but I never really cared where I ranked. I just wanted hundred percent completion on my sets because mm -hmm. right. That to me, that's more important than, than a 50% complete, but the highest grade point average. So I've, I've started shying away. I'm not, I'm not competing or, or really even uh, paying attention to the PSA set registry anymore. Cause I'm not going that deep into a 350 card set set on as far as like hall of fame hockey players goes. So I've uh, really kind of refocused that and not too worried. But as far as the grade goes, yeah, I combine the two. I combine kind of targeting a grade range. So say a, a PSA 4 to a PSA 6. And then it just depends on finding the right one in that range that has the aesthetics that I like. I wanted to touch to, to touch uh, this topic with you. You mentioned that you don't really care about the back of the card. So if you're if you're looking at a card and it's it's going to be graded by a, by a grading company, how much as a collector, how much weighting do you think should go towards the back of the card versus the front of the card? So it's hard for me to say, right? And I understand that, you know, a card having a nine or 10, the back should be immaculate, right? I, I do get that. I think that for like Tito six cards, um, if there's back damage or like paper loss, the max card grade you'll get is a two, right? Even if the front is perfect, like that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. At the end of the day, these collectors are going to put that card on their shelf and all you see is the front. They're going to put it in their display case. They're selling it. Like, what do you care if there's a little paper loss? Um, I think that's obnoxious. I I think the weightings for some, I mean, I really think the back should be less weighted. I think if you have paper loss or you have a little ding in the back, um, and you're telling me you're getting knocked down to a six for like a modern card. It's perfect otherwise. I think, I think it's a joke, but um, I get it as technicalities. Um, if you're a sharp collector and you're not looking to resell, it's a great chance for you to pick up a perfect front card for a really good price. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, my, my Cracker Jack Joe Jackson is not trimmed, but doesn't meet the minimum size requirements. Um, other than that, it looks like a six. And so for me, I'm like, I, I'm paying an authentic price for a card that looks like a six. Like, I'm not going to sell it. It looks beautiful in my collection. You know, wh whoever sells it for me when I'm dead, like, that's their problem. But for me, it looks great. I just have, I mean, I stumble. I stumble on that comment. It's not trimmed, but it doesn't meet the minimum size requirements. I'm, I'm all for a grading company deciding what its standards are for 
a nine or a 10 or any grade. If you say that a PSA, if PSA says that a, a Gen Mint card can have 60-40 centering on the back and as bad as 75-25, sorry, 60-40, as bad as 60-40 on the front and as bad as 75-25 on the back, we as a hobby can't argue that. That's their definition of Gem Mint for a PSA 10. But I do take a bit of issue when a grading company tells you, hey, this card isn't trimmed, but it doesn't meet our minimum size requirement. I mean, you didn't manufacture the card. You, you, how can that, I have trouble with that. Like it doesn't meet their minimum size. It must just be a protection from liability on their behalf. They're just saying, well, listen, we're not sure. We don't, we don't want to slab it because we don't want to have to, you know, pay out on it later or have negative press on it. But if it's not trimmed, why can't it get into us into their slab? That, that doesn't make sense to me. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're basically penalizing somebody for a factory miscut versus actual trim job. I, the, both those cards are the same PSA authentic or SGC authentic uh, grade, and they're vastly different. One has been altered. One was just an issue with manufacturing. I mean, I, I think that's a joke. And we're I, talking, I think, if we're talking pre-war, we're talking pre-war when technology yeah. and printing technology cutting process wasn't as accurate as it, as it might be today. And let's face it, even today, yeah. We get cards off centered right right out of the pack in 2022. So I think yes. that's an unnecessary penalty. I, I don't like that policy. I don't either. I get where they're coming from though, because if it's not a it doesn't meet the size, there's always gonna be that shredded doubt, like, oh, was it trimmed? They miss it, like is it trimmed? And so I get that point, but I mean, if you're telling me this card has no evidence of trimming, it should have a numeric grade. Um, I'm biased because one of my cards has that, but like at the end of the day, I, I just don't care. It's it just, it's very annoying. Well, yeah, and but add on one more thing I don't like about it is that they're not refunding you your money because their policy doesn't allow you to, to, to slab it, right? They're still going to charge you your submission fee, even though they're not willing to slab it. Anyway, uh, of course, there's lots of frustrations throughout the hobby. Good topic. Let's go to some comments. We've had a few come in here. Uh, Jerry Hodge, welcome to the show, says, I agree with Peter. I've been collecting cards since the late 70s and have quite a few pre-war hockey card sets and not a single card in a slab. Good for you. Like, you know, if you don't need it slabbed, don't get it slabbed. It's not the end-all be-all. Cards and Comics says, have you ever had a T214 victory or T215 pirate of any Hall of Famer? Pete. I had a common T2, uh, T215 um the victories are just so hard to find um i was an underbidder once for a chief bender t214 in goodwin the now defunct auction house in like the mid 2010s and i regretted it because it went for a good price it was a couple thousand dollars those are rare i think they're rare, they're too rare for their own good but those are very rare sets i mean i don't know if there's a cob in the t214 i know there is for the t215 it's a great sets really rare stuff Good. Okay, let's keep going. Game Time Gallery, refreshing to hear another collector caring about front image only. I'm with you 100%. And Lee Haskins, I agree. The front of the card is what I go for. I bought a great looking PSA 1, Hank Aaron, that looks like a 4, but is a 1 because of the back. Great card. See, I'm a little bit different. I do care about the back of the card. I care about the front more, but I certainly do care about the back as well. To me, it's part of the design, part of the image. Now, blank backs, you know, cards... Not not nearly as exciting on the, on the reverse, and I have several blank back cards. But 
where there is, and even then I don't want paper loss on the, on the reverse of my card. So again, the nuances that we all mm -hmm. uh, differ along the, the continuums uh, within the hobby. Eric says with pre-war cards, there was much more variation of factory cut sizes, card companies playing it overly safe. Grading, card grading companies playing it overly safe. And I completely agree with what Eric says here. Uh, Game Time Gallery agrees with Lee Haskins. Many of the cards in my collection are like that. Give me a PSA 1 and a PSA Authentic all day long, as long as the front looks great. Cards and Comics, I hate the PSA won't grade presentation sets of the 60s. I'm not familiar with those, but I'm sure you have a legit. And it might be that they're off size and they don't have the right die for it, the right slab size, all these things. If, the, if there aren't enough of them being submitted or there's not enough people that want to submit them, it doesn't make sense for them to invest in that next in that new die, a, a new a new uh, ceiling machine and all that, right? Or at least a new part for the ceiling machine. But uh, Lee Haskins agrees. Dave Bolaton says 70-30 and finding a T206 with a stamp hinge or tape on the back is like finding gold. Uh, go, you got a comment on that, Pete? No, that's a great point. Because if there's, I think some of the cards had stamps, some of them from collections, otherwise other rarities, and those are, it's knocked down for the grade for a stamp or a little tape on the back, or if it came from an album, um, the front looks just as like new and you get it for a fraction of the price. It's, well, I, 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 I do think that like the modern market is so fixated on grading. And then it's like, oh, this is an eight, 8.5. This is a nine, nine, five, almost gem. And I'm like, man, hang out with some of the vintage guys who are happy if their card gets a two or a three, like it's a total disconnect. Totally. Yeah. I, I told this story, I think, on Thursday when I was doing the PWCC auction. Um, but, you know, there I, I met I met these younger fellows by younger. I mean, they're probably in their like, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s. This was at the national. Oh, I, for, I don't know. I forget which one. I believe it was in Cleveland or Baltimore, mid 2010, 2015, maybe. Anyway, uh, I saw them looking very closely at a PSA 9 OC card i forget if it was a gretzky or peachy whatever it was and i i just started up a conversation with them i was curious I, I said so so you don't mind that it has the qualifier and the guy looked at me like no like this is a great opportunity to get a a nine a card that's otherwise a nine for a fraction of the price i don't care about centering the whole hobby seems to care about centering maybe except for this guy but i'm sure he's not alone right so you know we're again talking about a card that is like say weak for the grade or or strong for the like strong except for one criteria one's like subgrade some people just want to have a beautiful copy of the card where the centering might not be on point so i guess you know my point in all this is you know you don't care if the back of your card has a wrinkle or some or some uh, paper loss if the front is nice there are some people in the hobby that that will actually seek out cards with qualifiers, PSA cards with qualifiers, because they can get what is otherwise a super sharp card for, you know, for two or three grade point uh, grade points cheaper. Have you ever heard of that? Or what do you think of that? No, I think it's like, if you say, oh, it looks like a, it's like a PSA nine, except for this, like, that's phenomenal. That's the beauty of the hobby. Like we all can, um, we all can pick whatever we want to grade. I think that's awesome. And no one's wrong. No one's right. Like I could be, you know, I'm not right because I'm like, okay, fronts are more important. It's like, no, like some people just want the backs to be clean. Like that's the beauty of this hobby is, is a card for everybody. And I think we're the issue I do have is when people kind of like bash other people for their choices of cards. It's like, you can collect whatever you want to collect. It's it, that's your prerogative. I think that's the whole point of the hobby. Uh, 
Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Uh, Joe Perot says a lot of legit 90s inserts do not pass mm. minimum size requirement. Yeah, I've, I've seen that as well. Dave says, is it because card graders don't know much about the cards they are grading? I wonder, or do they know too much? Like, do they know that they've graded, you know, 100 examples, they know what those 100 have measured, and now a card 101 comes in, copy 101 of that card comes in, and it measures a little bit less, but they don't, but they don't detect grading. I mean, again, the, the 51 Parkhurst in hockey, they come in all, all sorts of different sizes, you know, so, and that's just the way they were made. I think, I think, it's, I think it's just protecting themselves from future liability and, and negative press. Uh, Cards and Comics says centering is overrated if the card is full of print dots or out of focus. Yeah, 100%. I'm all about registration and just that, that vibrancy of the colors on the front. So I'm with you. I, will, I would rather have a, I would rather have a perfectly a card with perfect registration and, a, and vibrant colors with poor centering versus the opposite, perfect centering with poor registration. Bobby Burrell, who knows a thing or two about vintage cards, says that card sizes over the years have been standardized to fall in a certain range, hand cut or another story, for sure. Hand cut would be more variable, I would say. Vintage card collector at my local show, I saw a 16-year-old trade a BGS 9.5 Mahomes for a 57 Unitas graded a five. Warms the heart. That's what I'm thinking. That warms the heart collects to see collectors, young collectors, get into vintage. And there's more and more of that happening, right? Ryan Nolan is like the poster boy for that right now in our hobby with his YouTube channel, Breakout Cards, and uh, and him going show to show. He's in his early 20s, jumping show to show, uh, documenting his, his, uh, his, his journey into vintage cards. Eric says, I appeal over grade all day. Yep, yep, that's, that's, that's logic right there to me. And Lee Haskins says, I have a PSA 8 off-centered Will Chamberlain and love it. It all depends on the card. I love that card more than the PSA 6 centered. Fair, but not for all cards depends on the card. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay, awesome comments to the chat. You guys are, uh, are fully engaged, which is awesome for Peter and myself. Pete, when we were chatting earlier, you said to me that athlete and being collectible are two sort of interchangeable terms. It ties into a bit about who your favorite athletes are that I mentioned when I introduced you earlier. You, you know, your favorite athletes include Babe Ruth, uh, Ty Cobb. I mean, players that you never saw play, players that your father never saw play. Let's talk about that. How can we? How can we as collectors and hobbyists name an athlete as our favorite without us ever having seen them play? Well, I think you can look at their body of work from a historical perspective, right? And so in the era of Ty Cobb, like batting, his batting average for from 1909 to 1926 or 7, whenever he retired, was above average or would be at the top of the league now um, for that long in an era where you were a dead ball and there weren't that many big hits. Um, you know, Babe Ruth becoming like the first big, you know, home run threat and superstar in the world like that's iconic um and so i think i don't have to see them play in person to know um that they're great it's like the michael jordan collectors now a lot of people didn't see michael jordan play that collect michael jordan right now but he's a story he was you know six six wins you know six titles um you know all these great dunks in the 80s and early 90s like one of the best players ever you know 
most people didn't realize how great he was until the last dance because they weren't around in his era. And um, I really think that people can collect athletes that no longer play anymore because they like their body of work in the history. And, you know, you talk about the prospecting and a lot of people also collect because they think, okay, Zion's going to be the next big thing. And Mahomes is going to win just as many, you know, Super Bowls as Brady. And that's fine too. But I don't think you're limited to that. I think you could also appreciate an athlete from a historical perspective. hundred percent. See, that's the answer. That was, that was a loaded question. Like, cause I believe it's possible because we collectors are historians to a degree, especially if you're going back, especially if you're going back in time to cards that, uh, of athletes that predate ourselves. And it's fun. You said it well, body of work. You can appreciate it. You can go study the history, learn about these players. I know lots of young collectors that are doing this. Young, young hockey collectors collecting cards from the 50s. Young baseball collectors collecting cards from the 30s and 40s. It's, I think it's a wonderful thing. We like to be historians. And your comment about Michael Jordan, you know, the, the way how there's a lot of Jordan collectors these days who never saw him play. But it comes down to cultural relevance and he's he's culturally so relevant he's transcends the sport like many athletes do and uh and i think it's it's you know we like to be historians you know bobby burrell who's in the chat and watching if he's still there is a historian and although he's bobby's old enough to have seen a lot of those hall of famers play just kidding bobby <laughs> well you're no spring chicken but you know what i mean but i mean no seriously it's it's that's what's fun about it is learning about these players and when i said earlier that you know i have stopped this the psa set registry stuff because i don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into having to buy cards of players that i don't know about like you know the bottom tier hall of famers and i'm not really that interested in spending time learning about them so why own those cards just to fill out a checklist on some website you know you know it's an important website in our hobby so you know i'm willing to own a card of a player that I want to learn about. Like I never saw Jim Thorpe play, but I know I, I know a little bit about him and I know that he's culturally relevant. He's a historical figure. He's an all-time great. And that's a player whose card I would like to own because I know a bit about him because I've studied it. And I think it's okay for us to name favorite name our favorite athletes being players we never saw play. Does that all all sit uh, sit well with you? Well look, I mean look at Jackie Robinson, right? He's oh. probably top two or three collected because he's historically relevant he'll always be and he'll always be well collected but um it's for that reason i think like as a baseball player he was great right but statistics wise um he wouldn't fall into like the top 10 but he's the most one of the most culturally relevant people in baseball and that'll stand the test of time if not the most like literally mm-hmm. like the i mean mickey mantle well loved but i don't know that he's as culturally relevant in in the in the in the i don't know how you say it the annals of history i think jackie is like right up there i wish i wish i said that first because to me he is the most cultural culturally relevant athlete i mean michael jordan more so just from on, on a worldwide basis but jackie at in his time 100 percent. justin vick says it right here i never saw jackie robinson play but he has such a compelling story. If you haven't seen the movie 42, go see it. And I guarantee you, not only will you fall in love with Jack, you'll fall in love with Pee Wee Reese too. Talk about just a good guy right there, for sure. Eric says that uh, Bobby saw Ty Cobb play. <laughs> Bag Buffwell says Ty Cobb is dead. Yes, he is. 
Uh, Dave Bolton, I name Honus Wagner and Roberto Clemente because they played for the team I grew up rooting for. And I read a lot about them when I was a young kid. I never saw them strike out. <laughs> Good stuff. Justin Vick says, hopping in a time machine to watch Ty Cobb play and add today's glitter and sparkle to T206 production runs. That'd be fun. Cards and comics. Any opinion on if the 48 Leaf set was actually issued in 1949? Lots of evidence. It was never issued in 48. I don't have an opinion on that. And honestly, I don't really care. Like if, if it doesn't even matter at this point to me, I like, to me, it's about the beauty of the set, the checklist, the, the printing technology of the time, the 48 leaf set is one of my favorites of all time. What about you, Peter? So there was a, I think it was a four, I think it was net 54 had this discussion. There was evidence that it was 1949. I'm with you, Jeremy. Like, I don't know what the actual year was. It's a beautiful set. If it was at 48, 49, 50, I'm going to love that Jackie Robinson rookie no matter what. Totally, totally. Lee Haskins says, my favorite players are ones I've seen which started in the 70s. I love collecting 70s so much, but my favorite players are the ones I watched. Gretzky, Ovechkin, Jordan, Brady, Marino, Griffey, etc. Yeah, Lee, you named several of mine right there as well. Uh, right here, Jake Dahl says, Babe Ruth came out of my closet and gave me a great speech good i'm not I, I don't get it but i'm sure it, i'm sure some of you do it says babe ruth came out of my closet and gave me a great oh and gave me a great speech still still don't get it jake uh sorry cards and comps it would make the it would make the 48 bowman set the only true rookies for many hall of famers well it does make make oh the bowman set right 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 mm -hmm. right makes sense okay uh yes buff babe ruth died too thank you for letting us know buff <laughs> bag buffwell in the house all right Let's keep on going. Let's. I want to. I want to ask you this: Do you look at your collection as an investment? So, I think it's interchangeable, right? I think you could be a true collector and be an investor. Um, I think people bucket you in one or the other. I'll say most stuff. I'm a collector. Like I buy cards I really want. Um, I assume they go up in value. I don't really care much for certain cards. Like my Deesh Fielding Ty Cobb. Like I, that's staying with me forever. I love that card. A lot of my Ty Cobbs are staying. My Babe Ruths, I, I don't care much. They go up in value. I'd be lying to you. Like there's some cards where, you know, I'm spending 30 grand on. If they go down to 10 grand, I'm going to like them a little less. Um, so I think when collectors say, I like this card, no matter what the price, I, I don't, I, I believe it, but um, I don't necessarily believe it too much. I think that, um, oh, I see it was a speech. I gotcha. Now I, it makes a lot more sense now. Makes more sense, yeah. Um, the, but so I think, you know, personally, um, yeah, I, I, it's, that's, that's, that's the move right there. I mean, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I, I think a lot of, a lot of collectors, uh, if, if you've had cards going back to 2017 and before and they've gone up in value, you've kind of become an investor just by consequence if your cards have gone up in value, but it doesn't mean that you're no longer a collector, you know, but I, I've said many times on this show that. Anytime you are deploying enough money that is significant to you, where you're actually comparing it to mortgage payments or rent payments or your, your, your monthly covering your monthly nut sort of thing, then you have to sort of consider it an investment because funds are, are finite and limited. And, you know, but to the extent that you uh, that you're not selling cards that you could sell for money, that, that's that's sort of enough. That's the collector in you. I've got lots of cards that have gone up in value significantly but i don't want to sell them because i still want to own the card yeah i want to own these things for a long period of time um there's nothing wrong with investing i think um 
I've never, which is funny, we talked about this earlier, like, I've never really been to a big card show, uh, which is hilarious. I've been collecting for so long. I've never been to the national. I'm going to go this year because at some point you just have to meet people versus being this Instagram person. No one wants to deal with you anymore. So I, I got to actually like show my face. But, um, I, you know, I, I don't do that because a lot of times, like, I don't want to trade cards because I want to keep them. Yeah. So, like, it, it makes it very hard for me. I'm probably the worst person to trade with because I, like, I'll, like, negotiate and we'll figure out. What, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't want to trade my card. So I'm not doing this anymore. Um, so it makes card shows less interesting for me, but I'm different. Like I collect, I'm a long-term holder. When I, I do sell cards, occasionally I'll flip if like, I know the set well and I'm like, I have like, a couple of these and I'll just buy it and sell it. But it, it takes too much time for me and it's just not worth it. And I hate shipping things because uh, I always get nervous and get lost. So I don't do that. Um, but you know, I, I do appreciate, it. I think the hobby needs investors because it does help card prices and helps demand. Um, I think there's a place for both, but I, I look at it from a collecting lens. Yeah. The one nice thing about going to the card shows is that you don't have to take cards with you. As long as you have money, you can acquire cards. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I don't love trading either because it just adds an extra wrinkle. I would rather work everything as a three-way trade. You know, I'll buy my card from you. I'll sell my card to somebody else, take that money, and, you know, and now spend that money on the card I bought from you. And now it's a three-way deal. Three people walk away happy instead of having to figure out what card you will take from me to bring down my cash price, you know, sometimes all the way down to zero. Yeah, I'm with you. But card shows are still great for networking, seeing what's yeah. out there, maybe discovering something new you've never held in hand before. You pick it up. You're like, I, I fell in love with this card. I'm going to chase the set or I just want the one card. And then there's really just the networking, the community part of it is, is so great just because it's a card show doesn't mean you have to go and give away cards you already own so True. don't 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 uh under underestimate the value of going to, and i know you don't but I yeah think everybody no, it's, yeah. it isn't it is important from a networking thing i also think for you know when you meet someone in person is a better bond than online and so if they the more people you meet and they know what you're looking for those are the ones that'll message you and be like hey i'm at this card show in toronto and I see this Wayne Gretzky card that I know you want. Like, do you want me to pick this up for you? And I think that is really, really important in this hobby. And so I do agree with you. It's something I haven't really worked on. Um, I've been in my, like, internet hole of eBay and forums. But um, it's definitely important. I just, for me, it's just, like, I, I don't ever want to be videotaped, like, <laughs> trading cards uh, I see online all the time. Uh, I'm kind of old school in that way. So, uh, but Nationals coming up in Atlantic City. It's right by here. So I have to go. Well, I'll look forward to seeing you there in person yeah. for sure. Let's go to some more comments here. Lee Haskins says, do you think right now buying T206 or 33 Gaudis is the best buy for an investment? I'm both, but investment matters to me. Uh, I don't know what's the, that, that's a tough question. What's the best, but I'll, I, I think it's definitely blue chip. What do you think, Peter? Yeah, I, I think um, it depends. Like if you're looking, I think for investments, you want to go high quality, right? So I think the Cobbs, the Ruth, the Gehrig, uh, the Cy Young, the Mathewson, right? Um, I think those are always good investments. The issue with the T206s and the Gaudis is you're never going to get that big pop because there's a lot of supply of both those sets, right? So it's not like they're super rare where one comes up, everyone starts bidding on them unless they're like very high grade. And even then they're kind of a, a pretty decent supply. So I do think it also makes it safe though on the counter argument because – they're so well-known and widely regarded that I would find it very hard to think of a scenario where a Gaudi Ruth or a Ty Cobb Green is down 50% in one year. Um, it's very tough. To, if that's down 50%, then the rest of the market's down 
80 plus. Yeah. And so I think that if you're you're looking for a card that's going to grow over time and you don't want to worry about like big swings, I, I think the high quality players in those sets are great. Well, here, one for the task gives us the quote from the Sandlot right here. And this, this is so true. It says, remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And that's where the that's where you don't need to worry about your investment in cards when you're when you're putting your money into into pieces for your collection of players who are true legends okay lee haskins i am also not interested in a trade show i don't trade i collect yeah but but lee trade but but then down here you say you'll be at the national this year and hope to find me and say hello so i guess you you do get it that it's not just about trading and i definitely look forward to uh seeing you there lee and shaking your hand as well Jake Dahl, I love collecting cards and comics. Trading becomes more about winning versus a fair deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Bag Buffwell, uh, I think is trolling. So we'll keep going. Jake Dahl says, I like the research in collecting and talking to other collectors and meeting them as well. Yeah, that's the whole. Exactly, Jake. I don't need to talk about that. We're on the same page. And Bobby Burrell says, dating sets. Again, we're talking about the 48 uh, leaf. He's saying we owe it to these players to recognize correct set dating, which legitimize their provenance accurately and respectively, thus preserve the antiquity of our card hobby. Fair, fair enough. Uh, you, how can you argue that? You can't argue that. But as a collector, again, at this point, change the date on it. I'm not going to love that card any more or any less. So, but. I don't know that we owe it to the players, though, Bobby. Actually, I don't know that we owe it to the players. I don't know. That, that, that's, a, that's a good topic. That's a good good topic of conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll visit it another time. Joe Perot says, I've always liked the E93 standard caramel issue. Does Peter have any of those? There's also E91B and the E90-1. A lot of options in pre-war. What do you say to that, Peter? So um, I don't own any of those. The E93 is beautiful. There was an REA... Um, they had a bunch of really high grade E93s up, up for auction that went for several hundred thousand dollars. Beautiful set, one of my favorite caramel sets, um, of like the 1909 and 19, you know, 15 plus era. Um, love those cards. E91, uh, I'm not a big fan of the Joe Jackson quote unquote rookie, is kind of a, a, an ugly card. Uh, there's a lipstick version. It's it's not a great card for that set. The Cobb is nice. The Cy Young Red Portrait is one of his best cards. It's great. And the E91B is a little too cartoonish for me, but it's very good. It's very affordable. So if you want to get an affordable Honus Wagner, um, that is probably the set to do it. Speaking of cartoony cards, what do you think of the uh, the 38... Uh, what's the set called? The DiMaggio rookie. The 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 just slip in my mind right now. The thirty eight. Uh, someone knows out there. I have the darn card and I can't even think of what what the what the set's called right now. It's not salutations. That's the that's the exhibit. No, um, I don't have that. I, I know he's, he's he's laughing in that in the is it? Yeah, like, it's yeah. his big head on a character yep. body. Like personally, I absolutely love the card. It was one of my first targeted vintage pre-war baseball Hall of Fame rookies. And I love it to this day. I got I got to figure out what that what that's uh, what that says. I'm gonna go look at my copy of it on my phone here. Unless uh, play ball, no. The Gaudi heads up. The Gaudi is it a Gaudi? Hmm. I guess it is. Here, here, here we have it. It is the yeah. This guy right here is like. Yep. I I bought this at the national and probably I don't know 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in there. 
And um, ah, just love this card. Absolutely a, an all-time classic. And there's two versions of it. This is the clean version without the graffiti, number 250. Card number 273 has, has the graffiti in it. I, I chose the clean copy. But all the cards in that set have those two versions, which is really neat. All right. Lots of comments coming in. Thank you, guys. Yes, the Gaudi, Jake nailed it. The play ball is, is the next. Uh, I think uh, I think DiMaggio has the play ball cards in future years, like 39, 40, 41 in that. Also beautiful. Joe knew. Joe said heads up. Okay, so it's called Gaudi Big Head or Gaudi Heads Up, something like that. I'm not even sure, but it's definitely a Gaudi. Oh, here's a question back here. Vintage Card Collector, any thoughts on the 52 Look and See Babe Ruth card? So I'll, I'll, let me just set the context quickly, Pete, and then I'll let you speak to it. The 1952 Tops Look and See set is a set of historical figures. You, you've, you've got, gosh, you, you, you've, you've got... You've got Gandhi in there. You've got Queen mm -hmm. Elizabeth in there. You've got Billy the Kid. You've got Babe Ruth. You you've got all you've got this um, explorers. You've got you've got authors. You've got all sorts of different uh, historical figures in there. And then there's the Babe Ruth. Well, anyway, what are your thoughts on on that card? So I'm not too familiar with that set. The one thing I will say though is I typically shy away from cards in the outer playing years. Right, so the forty-eight leaf Ruth, um, beautiful card. It's not his playing years, right? And so I think that'll always be for me like less appealing. Um, not to say you can't collect it; I'm sure it's a great alternative. But I, that doesn't—I don't usually look at cards outside of playing years. Yeah, that's fair. And, and for me, because I do have a couple of the the look and see cards, I think they're cool, and I even considered doing the set at one time. And then there's the Babe Ruth in there, which is probably the most valuable card in the set next to, uh, I forget which card is the short printed card in that, but in it, or the toughest one. But um, I'm not a big fan of it, just to answer the question uh, directly. I'm not a big fan of that card uh, from an aesthetics perspective, the way it looks, but I do love some other cards in that set. And as for Babe Ruth, yeah, it's a it's a it's an affordable option to get into a Babe Ruth card. But as Peter uh, explained, it's outside his playing years. And um and it's not, you know, for me, it's that 33 Gaudi. If you can afford it, that's the one to go for. If you, unless you're going for his rookie, and that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other world right there. Uh, Dr. says, I have a theory that vintage has experienced a large rotation of the under 40 year old collectors. When the basketball and football markets crashed, it feels like a lot of vintage has been inflated. It, it, Dr. is so spot on because um, I think the the curves of modern versus vintage are different i'm like i'm like drawing the curves incorrectly but yeah and i did um, i did say i did say leading up to this episode no talk of graphs or yeah. any of that so there's our first reference to a graph or a curve sorry i I, okay. I won't talk i won't talk curves but no I, I agree i think that my theory is and i talked to a lot of people and i've had a lot of people recently over the past like six months dming me asking me questions about cards and vintage cards and i'm just like oh like there's a lot of new people in the vintage market and you see that with prices. It, um, I mean, the vintage market has been hot. So it, it's always amusing when I see like, oh, like you know, the card industry is done for and, you know, it's the demise and everything's down. I'm like, there's a lot of things that are really hot right now. Um, I do think that my personal opinion, and it happened with me, I think modern is a toehold and you come into it and then you learn to appreciate the hobby and then you go back in different eras and you learn the history of it and you appreciate it. And I think it's very natural to go from modern to vintage and I'm not surprised that you're going to see people that got into modern go into vintage. And I think you're seeing that. 
I don't think I do think it's inflated, but I don't think that it's a near term phenomenon. I think that it's maturing of a collector. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's it is as you said, it's a natural progression for collectors to come in, co you know, collect this year's cards and then start looking backwards, especially when they realize kind of what's uh, you know, that this year's cards are just super available and hey that's okay sometimes there there are there are collectors who've been collecting base sets going back to the 60s or earlier even right through till 2022 they just want to fill out their binder and that's their hobby and all the power to them that's the foundation of the hobby right there a lot of those people okay very good stuff dave bulletin if you're still there great to have you thank you for enjoying the show joe perot calls out satchel page how can you mm. not uh Ken, I don't know the answer to that. Is there a 37 Opeachy Joe DiMaggio? We don't know. Cards and Comics is vintage is still crazy. A 61 PSA 8 Maze just sold for over $1,500. And Bobby, the Rembrandt. That's right. Thank you, Bobby. The Rembrandt is the short print in the 1952. Well, I question, uh, Bobby, is it, a, is it a short print or is it just really tough? It might be a short print. I don't know. Bobby knows all about these short prints because he he studies he studies what the uncut sheet looked like and how many rows mm. of each player there was. Some uncut sheets, you had two rows of a player, but some players only had one row, so they were short printed because they were literally only on the sheet once. That's stuff that only people, historians like Bobby Burrell, can enlighten us about. Okay, <clears throat> let's talk about the Cobb that you bought on Thursday. Oh, yeah. You bought yeah. a big card on Thursday. We talked about it on the on, on my show on Thursday with, with Adam Gray and, and Jesse Craig. And I'm going to start this off by by uh, in a negative light, Peter. But I but you'll see what I mean. So during the show, we talked about the card, and both Adam and Eric were like, "This is my favorite card in the whole auction. 419 cards in the auction. Both of these guys, that was like their favorite card in the auction." And I'm like, "Not me. I don't really like it. Like, you know, it's got damage. It's got it's got all these condition things. It's got an autograph. But I'd rather have a." A nicer conditioned copy of that card without an autograph than a than you know no offense but a beater with yeah. an autograph and you I know you know it's all it's okay so that's my personal preference I'd rather get a different a cob autograph on another card put it beside my nice T206 and enjoy that pairing so again this is I'm just saying this to again outline how we all approach things differently and that's fine and okay and I know I don't I didn't offend you so yeah. with all that said let's talk about the card, why you bought it, what you love about it, and how you're going to pay for it. <laughs> I don't have the answer to the last question, but um, I, <laughs> I, I can start. Don't tell, so, PW, yeah. don't tell PWCC that then. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no. So the the card, right? Um, every auction, we all put in an initial bid for a card that's like a tenth of the value, and then we sleep on it until the end of the auction, right? And so for this card, I put a bid in. And I'm like, all right, the same card sold for, um, I think it was 220 last year at Heritage. And so I was like, okay, it's going to sell for 220 plus because the, the vintage. The exact copy? Oh, yeah, the exact okay. copy. Okay. So this was part of a set um, that was sold in 1995 at Hunt Auctions. And what happened was it was a collector of five T206s and a T202, and I believe in E90. And they were all autographed Cobb cards. It was a friend of Ty Cobb. And he basically mailed these cards in. Cobb signed them and mailed them back. Because the auction catalog had the, uh, I think it was the envelope that the cards came in. Um, phenomenal provenance. So um, they haven't really come up for auction. Uh, I think the last, like, Cobb green, there's three known. 
Two of them came from this collection. One was from another collection. That one sold in 2001. And then the other two popped up in 2020 and 2021. 2021 being the one that I bought uh, for this recent auction. So someone bought it last year and then resold it to PWCC. Other than that, these cards never show up. So again, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a disconnect between what's really rare and what happened the past year or two as people started cashing out and there's a new wave of people coming into the market and changing hands. So I put a toll bid in. I'm like, I'm never going to win this card. Um, so the day of the auction, again, I haven't thought about this card since. I like re- I always review the bids and see where things are. And I'm like, okay, like this card's overpriced already. I'm not going to win this. I'm looking at this card. I'm like, all right. I think it was either 90 or 100 grand before buyer's premium. I was like, I know this is going to run for a, a heavy price, but I'm kind of surprised it hasn't run yet. So I'm not going to mention the name, but I called up my PWCC guy. I was like, listen, I'm, like, I'm interested in this card. Just give me the heads up, uh, you know. And what's really interesting is I also had the 96 SPX pack pulled Auto Jordan. That was my card in the auction. And so I felt less bad about the price because I had already a card already going for auction. And that sold for like 40-something. So I had some cushion. Um, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, this is still going low. Maybe there might be a chance, you know, someone gets sloppy and I win this. So that night, um, it's extended bidding, and someone puts a bid in, and now the card is uh, 110. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I'm going to have – my max was literally 150, so literally the next bid over. I'm like, I'm going to put a bid in, and if anyone outbids me, that is that. Put my bid in. Um. I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the back and forth. And so I was kind of like, I'm not going to win this, but uh, whatever. And then I had thought that during the two-minute countdown, I would have been outbid. Because during the one-minute countdown, you're kind of chancing it because it just moves so quickly. So once it turned to 1130, and I was still the winner, I was like, okay, I don't think there's going to be a back and forth anymore. And I think if I'm going to lose this one, it's going to be one person bidding because they're like, oh, crap, this is cheap. Like, just buy it. So I fell asleep. It's like 11.50 Eastern time. I'm like, either way, it's out of my control. I can't bid anymore anyway, so I'm going to fall asleep. I woke up, and I won. And my first thought was, holy crap, how am I going to pay for this? <laughs> and then the second thought was, I can't believe I own this card. This is ridiculous. Um, and it was probably one of the best wins and feelings I had. And I'm not saying it sold for super cheap. Um, I mean, it was still a chunky number for, to your point, a beater with an auto. Um, so I'm not knocking the sale at all. I'm just saying that I would have thought it would have sold higher than last year's sale, just given that the vintage market has been hotter and, um, there's only three Cobb autos. You never know when you're going to see another one again. You probably won't for a while. Um, so how long, how long is yours buried in your collection for? Which one? the cop like you just said you probably won't see another one for a while so you just you just acquired your copy on thursday and now there's really only two more out there because yours is i'm just i'm asking like when when will yours become available i I mean my my whole thing is so i'm going to be selling cards that are i love but i can replace them so i have a playoff contenders brady don't need that card i'll find another one will it cost me more next year maybe um i have a star jordan bgs8 i can just get a six and i'll be fine with that um a couple other cards where I can replace them. I don't know when this card will ever show up. The one card that sold in 2001 has never seen the light of day. The other person that won the other graded card, his website is called signt206.com. <laughs> He's literally a signt206 collector. This is his crown jewel. Um, 
he's never selling this card. I'm not selling it anytime soon. You're not going to see one for a while unless one of those two sell. Um, and I think that's the reason why I'm so happy I bought it. And on top of that, it's my favorite Cobb post. It is a beater, but um, the auto is so great. And yeah. for a car to that period, you just never see it. And so for me, it, it's it's like this is as irreplaceable as it gets. And it was one of those things where it's like never have a chance to get it again. It's a good price. Uh, I'm so freaking pleased. And the funny thing is I actually had someone offer me that card, uh, offered me a substantial premium to what I bought it for the next day. Oh, I really? said no. But I think it was just like I think it was one of those things where I think people just didn't realize like how rare this was. I mean, it's just a beautiful card. I usually do more homework before I buy it. But I just in my head I'm like, wait a minute, like 154 a Cobb Auto on a Tito Six, the most iconic. Like I will take that any day of the week, and I will find a way to get this in my collection. Yeah, you know, there's the there has been a movement lately of people collecting autographed rookie cards. I understand it's not his rookie, but it's definitely his probably his most important card, and. Uh, you know, this is probably like would be anyone's crown jewel, the crown jewel of anyone's collection of autographed rookie slash important cards. You know, like the same thing with the 52 tops Mickey Mantle autograph gold yeah. on Thursday at the PWCC premiere. It's also not as rookie, but we all accept it as one of the most iconic cards in the whole hobby. You know, if not like a top three with Honus mm -hmm. and, and, and Michael Jordan rookie. So um, very it, it's a crown jewel, that card that you acquired. So. And the autograph, like you said, it is, it's a beautiful autograph. It's done in fountain pen. You know, it's of the era. It's just so nice. So I congratulate you too, despite what I said at the beginning, which is more to make the point that we're all different. Yeah. Hobby. yeah I think your point's very fair because the card is in rough shape. Um, for me, it was the auto, right? There's also the knock on a lot of these autograph vintage cards. I think people are just skittish buying vintage autos because it's like, oh, is it really signed by them? Is it, you know, it, it is, you have to have good provenance with these cards. And for this one, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, I think that really made me, you know, comforted knowing that this card was legit. Um, but I mean, for me, it's like to have an autograph of some of these iconic cards, it, the grade doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And so again, I, I congratulate you along with a lot of other people here in the chat. So, Let's get to some comments here again. We're we're coming up on an hour 45, and I feel like we could go for another hour. So if, if you're good for time, let's keep on going. Yeah. There's still a couple of topics I want, I want to get into with you. But first of all, Justin Vick says, I'm so glad Peter got that Cobb. He has great knowledge of the card, cards and comics. Uh, yes, it was the Tito 6 Cobb auto. He says, my friend actually owned one of the three. His uncle played with Mickey Mantle in the 50s. He has a few articles about his collection, which his uncle helped him with. Joe Perot says, congratulations, great story. And sometimes it happens that way. He goes on to say, sometimes there is no time for homework when buying cards, which I definitely agree with that. Triple V, welcome to the show, says, congrats, Peter. Great story. Always nice to consolidate into a grail like that one. Top show as always. Thank you, Triple V. And Lapper says, really cool that different people can enjoy so many different types of cards. Of course, cards and comics. Someone just got convicted of faking a lot of more fake, uh, a lot Sorry, someone just got convicted of faking a lot of rare Tito 6 autos that SGC graded. I had heard that story. I think I saw that somewhere recently. And Purple Haze, hey, good to have good to have you, says congratulations on the card. And then I wanted to go up to this comment here by DR. He says, I've been re-watching Mad Men while listing and shipping in the evening. It has made me wonder 
what do you think will change when Fanatics puts big money into advertising sports cards? That's a great question. That's a great question, Dr. Um, but I don't think we're going to get into it right now. It's, it's, it, it, we, we could spend a whole episode on that. So let, we'll get into it on another episode. I'm sure we will. But thanks for the question. Nonetheless, Travis Mater says, what is the best way to spend 10K on vintage? Is it mantles, maize? Is it graded? What sport would you invest in? Any insight would be helpful. I'm not, I don't know, Travis, personally. I mean, we all have our own taste, but uh, maybe Peter, are you willing to, to answer that question? Yeah, I think um, it's hard because... I don't know what the quality of a mantle rookie you would get if it's a Bowman. Maybe you get a one or a one and a half for 10K. If I were you, Travis, I would probably go for the T206 and get it as nice of a copy as you can of a green T206 Cobb or the red Cobb. Those are iconic. They'll never fall out of favor. Um, they'll keep going up in value. You probably don't have a dynamite you'd have with some modern stuff, um, but they will always be in demand. And so if you're looking to make a toehold in something, um, I'd go T206. It, it's a, and it'll start your kind of adventure there because there's so many different variations of the T206 set that you might find yourself like building a mini set or something. And you can get a Cobb card for under 10K. Good advice. Thank you for that. There you go, Travis Mater. Purple Haze. Oh, I think we already said hello to you. And Tom Newman. Thank you for that, Tom. That's a, that's a compliment for you, Peter. So good stuff right there. Okay. We, we're, we're, we're going on in time here, but I want to talk about, we're going to totally switch gears for a moment because we've been talking vintage baseball this time, but you mm-hmm. also have a really nice collection of Wayne Gretzky cards, modern Wayne Gretzky cards. And this comes into why we were talking about our friend Les earlier tonight. And, um, you know, uh, he, I just want to, I want to touch on these cards because they are awesome, but explain your mentality where you collect vintage baseball but you also collect these wayne gretzky limit like limited logos from upper decks the cup auto patches explain that explain where your mind is where you're you 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 do both of these things you collect both of these uh, genres yeah so i never really did much modern up until i would say 2020 and i think just with a lot of like the um lack of better like the hoopla around the hobby and modern i definitely got intrigued by it so i did a little more homework on it and my first toehold was into some of the uh, michael jordan inserts right so you have a nine five jambalaya i have a seven five um a couple of other nice inserts um but i didn't really touch modern and then the way i thought of it in my head was um well now i can't really afford much of the nice patch autos for jordan because the exquisites are just like blown up right and there and those are still very strong even in this market um i looked at gretzky and so i i've had his i have a bvg8 opg uh gretzky auto it's a great great card and i started doing some homework on limited logos because i love patch autos um i think it's a way to play vintage in a modern framework right because because these jerseys like are not from modern they're from historical times and um, I think that's fascinating. And that appeals to my history part. I was doing some work on the limited logos and I'm like, look at these Gretzky cards and these patch autos. And I'm like, I understand Jordan is more iconic than Gretzky, especially in the United States, right? Um, and worldwide really. Oh, yeah. But there's, there's no reason why a beautiful patch auto from the cup should be under $10,000 if, you know, limited logos Jordan's going for hundred plus. So um, did some research, you know, again, toe holding a couple of limited logos, um, utilized Les and Dipsy for 
every freaking purchase I had. And I really apologize to them for bothering them last year for, you know, everything I did. And then you learn about this and you're like, well, these cards are really rare. Um, and so I did pick up um, three limited logo Wayne Gretzky cards. I think there's like 90, less can correct me uh, if I'm wrong. I think there's 90 in total of which 20 are all-stars. Uh, I think 60 are Kings variations. And then there's 10 Oilers, which are the crown jewel of the collection of collecting Gretzky. And so and I picked up two of the Kings, um, one of the all-star. I'll probably eventually get rid of one of the Kings. I don't need two. But the all-star one is just beautiful. 95 less. Yeah. That's <laughs> he has like he has like his whole sheet ready to go. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's super rare compared to Jordan, and the prices were too good. Um, and so the issue I have with the limited logo Gretzkys, and I think my theory on this is there's not a lot of public comps. So I feel like a lot of the card are done direct, right? And so you never really see these come up for auction. Less is Oilers patch auto limited logos. Uh, sold last year. I forgot for how much. Um, it's a totally different market. He knows, I think everyone knows that that card's going for more than double if it ever shows up again. Um, that card's missing, you know, Heritage REA golden graded type of sale. And I think when people realize how rare they are and how nice those cards are for Gretzky, um, it's going to put a lot of different eyeballs. And it's funny because my All-Star Limited logos, I have actually... I'll show it. So at this one, um, you wow. know, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. I have a lot of collectors DM me that are multi-sport collectors asking me about this card. Not so much the Kings Limited logos, but like asking me like, how rare is this? Like how much do they usually go for? Like what's, I never really see this. And it's picked up and I'm sure Les has the same thing, only magnified because of his Oilers. Um, I, I can, I really think that there's a lot of value in this. And as a collector, I love the iconic. I'm like, this is the best hockey player ever. And these are, you know, these are jerseys he wore at All-Star Game. And when he was at the Kings, like, it's definitely a, a twist to vintage. And I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, that, that card. Can we see that again? Oh, yeah. So this that is, is. I love those All-Star colors. It's uh, what a beautiful card. Just an absolute stunner. I asked you when when I realized you had three Gretzky limited logos. My question was, how did how did Les let you have that? That's what that was the joke. You know, that's what we were talking about. Les, I'm like, how did Les allow that? Because Les doesn't usually allow that. If there's one that comes up, Les makes sure Les wins that card. So how did you acquire those? If well, you're it's not to say, it's not blue. So that was a strike one for Les. If it was an Oilers, I don't know. I think. I think he has a lot of an, I think his focus is on, yeah, I think his focus is on the Oilers patch autos and other great, you know, McDavid cards and Crosby. Um, so I think one was that two, it was a lot of work on my part to find my first one um, through eBay where I bought a signature patch uh, of Gretzky and then reached out to the guy and said, Hey, you have anything else? And he's like, I have this limited logo Gretzky. And I was like, okay, what's the price? And we did an off transaction um, and, I got lucky in that one. The all-star was actually from an old executive at upper deck and he had this phenomenal collection and he left. And I'm pretty sure Les had a look at this as well. Cause it was on eBay for a few days. And I basically told the guy, I'm like, listen, I'll work with you on eBay. Um, let's get it. I think less thinks less of the all-star patches that he does the playing period as, cause it's for him, it's like a practice Jersey. Um, agree, disagree. I think when you see the emblems of endorsement sales on the all-star patches, 
the hobby disagrees too. I think people actually really like the all-stars and then Jordan all-star patches go for a premium as well. So I think people are different. I think he has a focus on certain things and I like other things and these slip through and I'm very happy to get them. Well, congrats on them. They are, they are awesome. And you have a, one of his master collection quad oh, yeah. patch autos as well, which might be one of the finest cards in the whole hobby right yeah. there. I mean, that is a spectacular piece. You've got a piece of patch from Edmonton, Los Angeles, I believe the New York Rangers, and then the all-star piece on the bottom right with the on-card autograph. What's that card number two? So from what I understand, this card's number two, nine. But from what I understand, there's a Canada version and a U.S. version. So there's a flag right there. Yeah. Um, and uh, this so was 18 in total. I mean, for me, it, it was it was a no-brainer because I've never seen these come up for auction. I know Warchief had two. And so when I saw him with his BGS nine, I asked him like, "Hey, like, you ever want to sell it? Let me know." He's like, "Well, if I die, maybe." I'm like, "Okay, he's never selling this." But yeah. then he had another one come up, and I, at that point, I'm like, "Okay, I'll never get a Oilers patch auto because Les will never let anyone have them, and they'll just go for a huge premium in this market." This is my only shot. So um, yeah, I'm very pleased with that card. Oh. I, I think I, I think when you compare like the low numbered Gretzky patch autos, whether it's Oilers or not, but like the exquisite flashback. I mean, that card is so underrated and it's only 25 of them. Like that is iconic. Um, the discrepancy between that price and the Jordan doesn't make that much sense. I don't own that card. I actually really want that card. Um, so I'm not just pumping it. Uh, I think it's a great buy. And so um, I think people are understanding that as they look and see, wait, basketball and football and baseball have gone up so much in value. Like, oh, hockey is actually pretty good. And over the last year, I think hockey's, you probably know better than me, but at least from what I see, hockey's been very strong. It has been, even just last Monday with uh, PC sports cards auction of all those Fleer Retro cards, all, all the uh, all the PMGs and the essential credentials. I mean, I, I went in, when I saw those listings, I was like, oh, I'm about to go broke. I'm about to spend all my money on these cards. I couldn't win any of them. I, I picked up one one card for about three or three hundred dollars or something. I was prepared to spend into five figures, and I didn't have the opportunity because cards were selling for like double, if not more, what I was, you know, hoping for. I won't say expecting. I was hoping for, and I just got shut right out. So yeah, hockey is hockey's doing well right now, which is nice when you own the cards, but when you want to buy the cards, it's it's not so nice. And that's been the situation for me over the last week week plus is everything i want to buy i'm just getting priced out of so it is uh it, it it just is that way right now but as for the gretzky all-star cards i have one of those emblems of endorsements and i absolutely love it i love the all-star your your limited logos my emblems your piece on the on the masterpiece collection there on the master's collection like yeah they're i think they're just just absolutely stunning cards absolutely well, it's yeah. nice that we can get some and, and less cannot have all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, but like less, like he's in the right place though. I mean, I think he's amassed an incredible collection. And I think, you know, the second that one of those oiler patches come to market, it's going to reset the hobby for a higher price. And um, it's not him selling. It'll be someone else because he's not selling any of those. Uh, people have tried, but um I, I think different phenomenal cards. It's for me, it's a way to play vintage because these are old Gretzky jerseys. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah, oh, it is phenomenal. Well, congrats on those. All right, listen, we're at two out. In 30 seconds, we're at two hours going here. 
I think we've covered just about everything we need to uh, for tonight. Um, so you'll be at the you'll be at the National in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to see you there. I know that Les is going to be there as well. He'll be there for a few days at least. So we should we should get together. And uh, if nothing else, hey, you can drink beer at the National. We should get together, have a beer, and just uh, hang out, say hello. I, I I think we'd have a good time doing that and reminisce about this episode tonight. What do you say? I would love that. Let me let me let everybody else know a couple of things quickly here. Uh, the Expo in Toronto, June 2nd to 5th. The second is the Thursday, and the sneak peek goes from 4 till 8 p.m. If you're coming to the Expo in Toronto, on Thursday, after the show ends at 8 o'clock, I'm hosting, i.e. I made the reservation at Jack Astor's in their indoor patio for all of us in the hobby to come on out, you know, do some networking, have uh, have some drinks, have some dinner, whatever, whatever it is you want to have, and just come hang out. So open invitation. I made it for 50 people. So we'll see what happens if we get overcrowded we get overcrowded or if we can't get in you can't get in but try to come anyway reservations in my name and i I invite everybody who's watching to come join uh there i want to thank again corey from show your slabs for sending me this holder for my nine card howard chuck nameplate it's tough to see from from here but uh it's really cool i want to thank him for doing that extremely and next saturday on the show our guest will be spinatron I don't even know his real name, but I'm going to find out. But he's well-known in the hobby as Spinatron. If you're not following him on Instagram yet, you probably are. Go ahead and follow Spinatron. And, of course, Peter right here who's with us on the ticker right now. You can see his Instagram handle, Sports Card Pete. Make sure you're following Peter if you are not already following him. And now it comes down to are we going to do an after-hour show tonight? Joe, are you still in the are you still in the chat? Joe, if you're in the chat, give me a thumbs up. And uh, if some of you guys say, yeah, do an after-hours, I'll do an after-hours. We'll come back on for a little bit with Joe. And uh, I know he had some pickups this week. I've got a couple pickups I can share, and we can just talk some more hobby if everybody would like to. Make sure to remind you guys to all download the Center Stage app at the on the Apple App Store. And follow them on Instagram at Center Stage HQ. Great group of uh, people there trying to make the hobby even better. That's about all I got right now, I think. Uh, collectible Live tomorrow on this channel. My guest is Ryan Carey from Golden Age Auctions. Let's go to some final comments here, Peter, and then we're going to end this. So, first of all, I'm going to do this pretty quick, guys, but uh, I see there's a whole bunch here. So let's go to right here. Lapper says, no St. Louis on the Gretzky. Hey, there's only four spots, and he barely even played there, so no. Uh, Adam Holgate says, nice Gretzky cards. And Adam, I know you had a good comment earlier. Oh, right here you said, hard to go wrong with a 51 Bowman Maze rookie, which I agree on in terms of where to deploy 10 grand into vintage. I think that's a great answer for sure. Thank you, Justin Vick. Enjoyed learning more about vintage baseball that's awesome so eric says i'll have to wait till november to join you yeah too bad you're not coming up but i know you're you you i think you're laid up right now from your hip surgery i believe joe is here good stuff lapper says do it purple haze is in for after hours jake's into it joe's into it justin's into it mark santucci's here yeah great idea triple v's into it jeff mcmahon says great show and yeah okay all right We'll do it. We'll do it. Give me, I need about 10 minutes after this ends to, to get it all, uh, to get it all started. Joe, I'll send you a link in Facebook messenger to join the show. 
Uh, Peter, thank you, man. This was fun, man. I mean, listen, you were the perfect guest for tonight. Really enjoy. I know that. I know that. I know the audience enjoyed it. So thank, thank you. This was great. I can't wait to meet you in person in Atlantic City. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate. It. Thank you, everybody, for all the comments. Yeah, you bet. So hang tight right there, quickly. Bobby Burrell, appreciate that, Bobby. And Purple Haze, thank you very much. He thanks you as well, guys. This show is over. We'll see you on After Hours on this same channel in a few minutes. And uh, but if not, hey, have a great week. We'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.